0: Really? And Cassie's like, yeah, fucking really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's like, I create a monster. <laughs>
2: Welcome back to the Word of the Witnesses. I am one of your hosts, Beep, and I am joined as always by the lovely Cece. Hello. We also have our friend Megan back. You would remember her from 112 Paradox.
1: Hello. Hi. Yay. We're glad you're back. Thank you. I'm glad to be back
2: so we hope you guys have had a chance to listen to our last episode with terry at metallis and amanda Schul. uh we heard a lot of thoughts about cassie in particular starting in 113 but we want to dive a little deeper into that episode uh since we spent a lot of time talking about the overall show and then we will connect that right into episode 201 so that's what we're doing on this one
0: Yay, then we're getting into season two. I'm so excited. Yes. It's like one of my most favorite seasons of TV. So yeah, we're going to be discussing a little bit of These Arms Are Mine and Year of the Monkey. They are both written by Terry Metalis and Travis Fickett and both directed by David Grossman. So just stepping back and looking at sort of the structure of this season finale, Mm -hmm. we have these like bookend confrontations um, where you have Cassie and Cole. They both have to confront these adversaries that have aligned themselves for, you know, we can debate the reasons, but they've aligned themselves to assisting the army of the 12 monkeys. And they both have to confront Aaron at the beginning of the episode and Ramsey at the end of the episode. Um, And the way they end up confronting those adversaries are going to have profound repercussions, not only for their relationship, but also just for their long term character arc. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that's really interesting is when we get to the latter half of the episode, we have the way it's edited back and forth. It's two simultaneous infiltrations and standoffs at Raritan so it's happening at the same place, but it's happening at different times. Yeah. Um, cool. And when you go back and watch it, yeah, it is really cool. Like a lot of times you have a shot and it'll go over like Jones's shoulder and then it's Cole. And they're like standing in the same, pl- like almost the same place, but it's like 30 years apart. <laughs> um, so it, if we could just talk really quickly. So that episode begins the same way the pilot began um, with the monologue. And it's our first time we're going to hear the monologue return This time still in Cole's voice with the where are you right now, but um, this time it goes over the words of where are you right now, Um, close to someone you love. It shows Cassie and Cole um, and then also Jones looking at her locket with the picture of Hannah. Ramsey, um, we assume contemplating returning to his son, and then Jennifer um, all alone doing the charcoal drawing. So it's the first time that we've seen this monologue, but it's now asking that question, those questions that the monologue asks of all of the different characters and kind of keying them up for how the finale is gonna unfold. Um, but I think it's also interesting how it ends with this idea of fate. And so the way the episode opens up is saying maybe it's not even your choice. So it's presenting fate as something that's inevitable. And the end of the episode with Cole's ultimate choice to save Ramsey is kind of asserting an opposite idea of that, that free will, that we still have free will. And maybe there is no such thing as fate um, right. or, or free will being able to change, quote unquote, fate. Um,
2: Which so actually this- really... Uh- Kind of infiltrates and creates a crack in the foundation of Olivia's faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because her ultimate faith, you know, and even in the witness is grounded in the idea that he could know at this point. You know, he because that's what she thinks he could know all this because fate is faded. <laughs> Right. No, it's interesting. Came out again.
0: (laughs) Well, I love actually that it's ended up talking about these two episodes together, the season finale and then two a one, because it's almost it's a thread that runs through not only with Olivia being so certain at the end of the finale and then by the end of two like. 201 with that second scene with her on the bridge and she's like, none of this was foretold, right? And you can see those cracks starting. But also a lot of, there's a lot of conversations about choice um, and whether Jennifer thinks that she has free choice. And it's just a theme that's running through both of these, I mean, just the whole series, but both in these particular, these two episodes.
2: Um, It's interesting how it affects people differently, though, especially when you look at Olivia and Jennifer, because... As long as she's still, you know, through the finale when she's very much is all the fate is immovable and is talking about exactly what will happen to Ramsey and to Cole, um, she uses fate as a way to empower her and Jennifer sees it as a shackle. Right. Jennifer
1: mm-hmm. sees it almost as like, I mean... These two episodes have smushed together. But I think it's in episode 13 where she's like, oh, my God, someone's finally going to stop me. Right? That's season two, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it and it is just this thing where you're like – where I wanted to, like, yell at her, like, you have a choice. Like, you mm-hmm. don't have to do this. Like mm-hmm. – um, And I guess that's where I think her thing in um, episode, uh, episode 13 is so interesting when she's talking about evolution. Because the thing that kept coming back to my mind is – the idea of choice, the idea of fate, and then the idea of evolution, where if you could say that evolution almost seems fated, like how much choice do animals have as nature, quote unquote, selects qualities for them that help their evolution, right? That makes them ultimately, though, into different kind of animals, Um It's kind of an incomplete thought, but I thought it was interesting when you're looking at, like, how much choice do we have in our fate? How much choice do we have in our evolution? And I think that, you know, episode 13 really starts to set that up. Like, um, with Olivia on the side of fate, with Jennifer ostensibly on the side of evolution, but kind of on the side of evolution that is fate, right? That, like, we have no choice. I'm being made to do this. And then... Cole and Cassie debating the middle
0: ground. Mm-hmm. It does. It sets up. It, it really is. They do a really masterful job of giving us hints and mm-hmm. setting up. Like, for example, Deacon, Um, he's doing something that we are ostensibly cheering against, right? Like he's helping the messengers break into Raritan. But you can see not only is he clear that he is doing it so that the people that follow him, West Seven, he wants to make sure it's done in a way where we'll preserve the facility to be a place for people to live. Mm-hmm. But you also see him growing like increasingly uneasy right. with the messengers and kind of like, who did I get into bed with here? Um, and you keep like it's subtle. A lot of it's like in the performance with him just kind of giving looks like, huh, what did I get myself into here? Where we were used to him being kind of like a big bad all season. You know, what's um,
1: interesting about Deacon is like, a free agent here, right? Like, he kind of is the ultimate middle ground or the – maybe not middle ground, but, like, he's the one who's acting according to his own best interest or his people's own best interest each time, right? So, the messengers are all about fate and the cycle and the circle. And there's, off you know, team free will or whatever. And he's more like, well, whatever is best for – Me and my people is what I'm going to choose. And he kind of like zigzags throughout each camp, at at least in the beginning. And -hmm. that's that's a really interesting kind of like thematic choice to have people who have these big, big ideas. And then you have Deacon, who's like, well, (laughs) self-interest is my choice. And that's kind of the most, quote unquote, evolutionary thing, right? Is self-interest and survival makes us who we are.
2: Mm hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, now we talked a little bit. I, we talked a bit on our last podcast about um, the scenes with Aaron Marker and his death. Um, I think that they said there were some interesting character moments, not only for understanding Aaron's point of view. I, I mean, I found I, I those those scenes are really. I mean, not only do you see, like, the fact that Cassie's going along with it, it's like a huge sign of the shift that's going on within her. For
1: sure.
0: Um, The way she nods for Cole to keep going. Um, But, you know, when Aaron says, you destroyed everything in my life and I was just trying to protect you, and he says it to Cassie, I mean, we may not agree with them, but it's hard to argue with the truth of what he says. Like That's his truth, for sure. Right. Um, and when Cole says back to him, like, I thought there's just some really, like when Cole says, I was just a little boy watching the world burn alone. Mm -hmm. You know, when you say savage, that's because of the things that I had to do. It's, it's like a really great moment of reflection, not only of how did Cole get to be who he is, but then when Aaron says to him, you're no savior. I feel like he's saying Cole's like worst fear out loud to him.
1: Um, I just think it's like sometimes two people's evolution or whatever isn't compatible. Like Aaron ultimately kind of has to be destroyed for what he did, you know, and for the information that he has. And I don't know. It's horrific, though. My God. It's horrific. It's really it's, horrific, but it's really truthful in a way. You know what I mean? Like it's good storytelling.
0: So I mean, now when I watch it, I, I my mind immediately goes to that argument that Cassie and Cole have. You know, because even though Cassie is shutting down discussing it in this episode, it's going to come up between mm-hmm. the two of them. I think it's in episode three of season two, um, when Cassie says, you know, Aaron was just trying to protect me. I mean, she almost, she calls back to what he says here. Yeah. And then um, I forget exactly how she says it in that episode, but basically that, like, is it that Cole killed him? I'm trying to remember, like, how the exact phrasing yeah, is. It,
1: it's something like, oh, God, I can't quite get there.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, And and you're, like, she, like, goes there, and I remember kind of, like, almost, like, gasping, like, oh, God, they're going to talk about this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, but... Beep raised a really interesting point on the last pod about what Cole knows. So this happens, they don't talk about it, and then they're separated for almost a year. And the yeah. next time they talk about it is gonna be at the Emerson Hotel in the 40s. Yeah, so what Cassie <laughs> right, what Cassie sees is she walks into a room. Um, Aaron is on fire and trapped (laughs) under a bookcase. And Cole's like, we (laughs) got to get out of here. Literally on fire. (laughs) Right. And it's, it looks really fucking bad. And as far as we know, they never talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if she thinks that Cole, like, I don't, right. Like she, she, you can, I think it's fair to say she could like assume the worst case scenario, but they never, they never talk about it on camera. And then they're separated for, to both of them almost a year. Right for
1: Cassie, like, she's, like, I feel like Cole's separation, he's already been in 2015, and he has Ramsey. She's, like, Uh she goes back, she goes forward, she goes forward to the the apocalypse. She can't go outside because she could die. She has a gunshot wound that might kill her. And she, like, goes back in the middle of this Messenger West 7 Project Splinter skirmish, like, Talk about your fucking trauma, right? Like, right. Yeah. Completely disorienting. And the person who orients you, which for her is Cole, like, you know, it, it would be easy, I think, to really like run with the idea when you're feeling like you want to blame someone that like Cole set this good person on fire, you know, or, mm-hmm. or your choices like destroyed things. And, you know, I just,
0: it's just, um, yeah, I mean, particularly when Aaron is saying, you know, all I was trying to do is protect you.
2: Right. And at really the end... It's hard, hard. Right. Her and line it, in 100 years says, Aaron died protecting me from you.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. That's
2: right. Burn!
0: <laughs> right. Um, and then th- this episode ends with Cole not being able really, I mean... He's not willing to shoot shoot Ramsey. I think Cassie views that as making a choice Mm -hmm. contrary to her. She also makes a choice to shoot him. That results in her getting shot. And then she ends up getting thrust into the future, like as you said. So it doesn't, you can understand why, from her point of view, she feels like when push came to shove, Cole didn't protect her
1: right and like Um, she just stood by and watched Aaron be killed by immolation and
0: like it's awful like of all of the characters like just shoot somebody (laughs) well okay so I was gonna say actually
1: you know like I think that you could have as Cassie or as someone who experienced those things you could have that thought right where you're just like you know I did my part for the good and then like you let me down here you know Right.
0: On the other hand, (laughs) on the other hand, if you're because actually what I love this because I want to do there's several points throughout these two episodes where I I want to do their two opposing viewpoints. Right. Because I think it's so well crafted for sure. And and there's a reason why it's kind of crashing and they're like and it's setting up so much for why they're going to be at odds in season two. And I can totally play devil's advocate for either one. Like on the other hand, if you're Cole. You just found out you have two, two things in your mind. Number one, the personal. This, this man's betrayal resulted in his father's death. And number two, the same reason why Cassie is pissed at Ramsey at the end of this episode is why Cole is beating Aaron up because he's in bed with the Army of the Twelve Monkeys, right? And like compromised their mission. Now, what actually happens? Like I was trying to think like... Like, when she says, like, Aaron died protecting me from you and all, like, all of this, like, actually trying to think about, like, culpability for Aaron's death in terms of what actually unfolds. You know, when he, like, severs the um, restraints and then he runs down to get away. But he doesn't run out of the building. He runs (laughs) and picks up a fucking canister and a lighter and and lights coal on fire. Yeah. Holy shit. You know. It's hardcore, right? It is, yeah. So, if you were actually I was like if I had to actually think about like what people would get like charged with, it's, it's it feels like like a crim law final exam question of like somebody can somebody kidnap somebody but then and they put them in that dangerous situation but then they get away but then that person lights them on fire and like that (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like i guess it's manslaughter or murby murder too i'm not really sure murder murder too no murder too (laughs) maybe murder murder too like second degree murder um so like mini murder murder So it's complicated, right? Like you can definitely right. say that Cole did not have the intent for Aaron to die. And Aaron certainly made choices when he ran away from that room where he was being tortured.
1: I was like, he was being tortured. Yeah. You no, know? I think um, the thing about Aaron is I don't hate him. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, you know, and I even under can understand him as a character. So it's just one of those things that's actually tragic, right? Where. Um, his choices run against our protagonist's choices, and he died. Right, <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. Like we, we knew of- <laughs> he
2: had no long term place in the story, right? Because everything he's doing is like counterintuitive to the direction that we're going, right? right.
1: But it's right. also kind of fundamental, especially for the first chapter. Like the thing I appreciate about Twelve Monkeys is it feels so much like a series of novels because you because ha- you really get these. People's different perspectives and their different courses of action playing against each other and kind of aligning and then not aligning. And then every point of view is very strong. And Aaron's is just kind of that he's that character in the first book of whatever series who dies because they're from the first book, you know, like they're the first kind of point of view.
0: It also, it's also like cutting, as far as we know, Cassie's last connection.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: To that, to 2015. Mm -hmm. To her
1: her old self. Like he had to die because he's part of Cassie's past and Cassie evolves and changes to something else. There's totally else, but you know,
0: there, yeah, no. Yeah. There were two other little things. So the, what he does mention an interesting tidbit mythology wise, where he talks about the 12 monkeys having a facility in Colorado. I love that. Which is Titan, right? Right. I mean, it
1: has Um, to be right.
0: Yeah. Um, And all the other thing I noticed, and this might also just be the way they costume Cassie in this episode I think, I think it's different from past episodes, right? Like she's in the black leather jacket. It's like more of the like, same. I feel like she was more, I feel like even the way she's costumed is a shift from her character before yeah. where she was in business casual or she was, or like wearing prof- more professional, like she was in heels. Like even when she wasn't practicing medicine anymore, like this is costumed, like, It could have just been practical. Like, these are the clothes that Cassie has to like wear now in the post apocalypse (laughs) because she's going to be wearing them for most of season two. But I feel like the way Cassie is costumed, the way Jennifer is costumed in this episode is signaling kind of like a shift in different, like how they're changing or like different roles like that they're taking on.
1: It could be, I mean, and it can be both, right? It can be practical. So no one's like, well, where'd she get those clothes? And then also, (laughs) it's, and also, it's like, It's telling you something, like you're talking about. It's telling you that she's already she's becoming that person, or you know, I don't want to say that she wasn't that person or didn't have those capabilities, but she's changing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, we took we we ended up we did talk a lot with we're lucky enough to talk with Amanda about the scene at the coffee shop and how she's rubbing the soot off of her face and emotionally shut down. Um, The other side of the coin in that scene is I think it's interesting that even though Cole is the one who is used to either (laughs) frankly killing people or having people (laughs) die in front of him um he's the one that wants to talk about it and he's the one saying like it's not that simple like it's not that simple to just shut down and say he betrayed me it's done let's move on and the look on his face at her emotionally shutting down is one of kind of like He is perplexed and he is concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just really interesting foreshadowing because I feel like that is going to be the nature of many of their conversations in season two of him trying to reach out and and talk about feelings out loud and Cassie shutting them down and basically being like, we don't have time for this. Um, So that takes us the one thing we didn't get a chance to um, that I want to make sure we talked about because it is. Jennifer Goyne's first moment, like on stage (laughs) (laughs) in 12 Monkeys, um, is they go to see her at her Markridge presentation to shareholders. There's some really fun, and I just caught it when I was rewatching this episode again today. So I don't even know how many times it took me to catch it, but I paused when they're entering... The like um, convention center or the auditorium where Jennifer's doing the presentation. There are three posters outside in addition to the poster for the Markridge um, Mm -hmm. event. The first one is Guitar Masters presents Trevor. I think it's Trevor Rabin and Paul Linford um that's like advertised as an upcoming event at that venue and those are the two gentlemen who did the score for seasons one and two of 12 monkeys (laughs) um and trevor rabin is the guitarist for yes um so it's just kind of a fun like the whole like guitar masters that there'd Uh be an event for them it's a fun shout out to the two people that did the score for the show for the first two seasons the Third poster. So then, then there's the Markridge poster. Then the third poster is a presentation on quote primate species confusion epidemic. Um, so like referring, I think they're referring to loris, like the slow loris, like those really cute little like primates. So, but referring to monkeys. But then the one that's the most interesting is all the way on the right almost out of the frame is a upcoming forum on particle splintering with Dr. Elliot Jones. That's pretty cool. And when you look through the window of the, um, event space, there's more posters inside advertising Dr. Elliot Jones and, um, particle splintering. So there's a lot of really fun, like Easter eggs that they all just like put those were all just like on the outside of the building when Cassie and Cole are walking in. Um, I I beep. Do you have Do you have things you want to just talk? Uh, it's Jennifer
2: on stage being crazy and awesome. Uh, do you
0: have feelings it, about it that?
2: Me, <laughs> Jennifer's on stage being crazy and awesome. I love her intro about her dad. Yeah, <laughs> like Just with those so photos ridiculous. inserted into like other I, stock photos, I mean, it's like it's just post. so random. It's the My same. My father. Was <laughs> none of these things, <laughs> and then the
0: audience is like, "Yeah, was it isn't," it's- and nobody picks
2: up. Like she
0: didn't even she photoshops the same fucking picture over and over again. Oh yeah, like, that's what it's makes just, it
2: so funny. It's and just it's- cropped out of like one picture that probably came from a newspaper,
0: <laughs> and it's then they're playing "The Wind Beneath My Wings" oh, my from gosh. Beaches. It's so absurd it's so awesome it's it's like I mean and I love it because Jen I mean she's got them right in the palm of her hand like she's being ridiculous but like Jennifer Goins gets on stage and she is riveting and she had those like market she had those investors totally following her lead um I, I do that line that you said though as funny as it is beep has some layers to it my father was none of these things right Mm -hmm. like he wasn't a family man he wasn't a good man he was only ever a markridge man and so it's it's funny but it's also really sad and true
2: yeah or as deacon taught her when she was like four he was only ever an asshole
0: (laughs) right i did think this is another thing i'm probably totally like grasping at stuff but her dress almost looks like one of her charcoal drawings
1: it does i thought that too You done. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. The pattern on it looks like it's like a really up close, almost like out of focus of like her charcoal drawings. Um, And she does have that really great. You talked about it before Megan discussion about extinction and evolution and altering the natural order. And, you know, Olivia's talk, Olivia talked about it in her conversation with Aaron and the pallid man talked about it in the night room and it's kind of sowing the seeds, you know, Partly for what the true motivation of the 12 monkeys is to alter time and to bring about the Red Forest. But at the time, as a viewer, I thought it was it was had to do with like the plague and wiping out humanity, at least like when I was listening to that speech the first time. That brings us to the scene with Cassie and Jennifer and Cole. I think it's interesting because as as much as it seems like Jennifer is being set up as a antagonist by the end of the season finale, and she is working in concert with Olivia um, in the information that she feeds Cassie and Cole, when she sees Cole in the crowd and says otter eyes, she looks like really genuinely happy. Mm-hmm. And when he leaves, it's just like her playing on her face, but she looks like... Like she has remorse um, and that she's like conflicted, but it has to do like with him, right? Like her, whatever weird connection she has with him, that the voices stop when he, you know, or compassion that he should for her or whatever it is. I think there's some interesting layers to the performance, even though she is, we, we do see her getting on the plane with the virus at the end thinking, huh, she, maybe she's going to be one of our big antagonists for season two.
1: Yeah, I think whenever she they leave the room, she looks conflicted. Like, she looks like someone who is, you know, like, a believer who is conflicted, but who still doesn't quite have it in them to break away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or to, like, who's at the point of cognitive dissonance, but not quite sure enough to be able to, like, break free of it.
2: You know, mm-hmm. you know yeah, I think, I think to some degree moment. that Jennifer knows that she's being played, but yeah. one, if we look at her, definition of fate she thinks she has no choice and two like she still wants what they're offering her right i mean even though they're not showing it on screen like as you know as far as we understand like olivia is still like grooming her and giving her that and even early in season two we hear her say you know like she said we could be together like to for her and cole so i mean she thinks this is all part of a bigger plan to like reestablish her life into something better than she's ever had before
0: she's super uh, it's interesting though because she is probably jennifer is probably like the bitchiest she ever is in this scene like her behavior to cassie is fucking ridiculous like she's like i hate you she's up in cole's face while cassie's talking like making fun like if i were cassie i would want to slap her too like she's totally like ridiculously bitchy to her but i think it's interesting that like unlike the night room when I mean, Cassie was just kind of doing the like hilarious, like mouthing wow and was kind of hanging back and letting Cole be the one to talk to Jennifer, something has changed because Cassie just takes charge and is like, I don't have time for your bullshit. Right. Yeah. Like, and she, it's a definite it's ins- character marker. Yeah. She's like inserting herself and taking command of the situation and she's not going to sit back and let Cole coddle her because there's mm-hmm. like too much at stake and they don't have time. Mm-hmm. But, I love it because now, when they have that exchange about the dodo and the unicorn, and of course, I'm not a liar, it now makes me think of the series finale. And Cassie watching Jennifer on TV with the unicorn and Cassie looking, I mean, Jennifer looking at the screen and it, it feels like she's looking at the screen like that it's like this inside joke with her and Cassie. Um, and I love that this scene where they are like, they hate each other and they're like being horrible to each other it comes full circle and it's almost like this inside joke that the two of them have about the unicorn. Um, and also,
1: it makes me remember when, is it season four, season three, when I'm not sure when Cassie tucks her in and she yeah. has the unicorn. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, a, almost like you're saying, like that's a season Cassie. That's four
2: right after she paints the world with her yellow. Right. Her... That's yeah. up.
1: I was getting it between the head smashing and then the painting the world.
2: But yeah, you're right. Yeah.
1: And, um, it's almost like a her and Cassie thing now that you mm-hmm. mention
0: it. Yeah. The, yeah. It totally is. Um, and it, it's just such a beautiful full circle that you have Cassie in this scene, like, making fun of her over it and being like, oh, so you you weren't lying about that. And then she's like, no, of course I wasn't lying. And I hate you. Right? I mean, yeah. it's just, like,
1: so. And also, I can turn this into an uh, argument for Cassie not pressing the button. Do it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> My article, my my article, my uh, point is that the dodo suffered from like natural selection extinction, right? Like it just couldn't operate really in the world anymore. But the unicorn was a choice made by Jennifer to create. And if this is between them, I'm going real meta crazy. <laughs> i i'll own it <laughs> i'm like on tumblr writing my like theory of cassie and jennifer and you
0: <laughs> do it i'm like full on now i've like about like i've i've gone through the depths of considering the red forest and i am like i am now ready to like Look, the unicorn was chosen
1: <laughs> chosen to be created <laughs> And it means yep. something between Cassie and Jennifer. So therefore Q E D. The right not happened. Did you
0: guys have anything else about Jennifer in these scenes?
1: I just love it because it is I just love this season finale because it does feel like the end of book one, right? Like mm-hmm. But it does feel very novelistic, right? Like everyone kind of ends at this point of their character where they're about to fundamentally change. And hers is like this last reiteration of of Jennifer, who is under Olivia's control, who isn't really thinking for herself, but coming up to cognitive dissonance. Because she comes up to the point where she is amenable in 2-1 and 2-2 for Cole to talk her down. But this is part of that, right? Like kind mm-hmm. of going too far is
0: part of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's interesting that she wants it, it is setting up what is feels like Jennifer's long-term arc a, particularly in season two of needing a purpose yeah. um and is a is a major theme of of 202 if I found my purpose. And right. here Olivia has given her a purpose, but it almost feels, with the way she behaves in this finale and showing that those hints of remorse, but certainly when she's up on that rooftop, it's almost like this purpose is like a shackle. Like, it, yeah. it feels because like it's... it's an
1: so- identity that she's, like, putting on. And that's but what she, Jennifer does a lot. She puts on different identities. It's someone feels else's cons- purpose. She's been
2: yes. handed it, but it's not hers. Exactly.
0: It's but like it's interesting else. that she finds herself constrained by it. Mm-hmm right like it's taken it's a purpose that his that she's taken on but somehow she thinks that then she no longer has free will to decide anything for herself
1: well i think it's because it's something that olivia's offering her something that's really primal that she wants like i think that hmm, trying to word this in a way that's not like super personal but you know like whenever you maybe adhere to something that you know or have a feeling about isn't quite true for an identity Right? Like, especially when we're younger. And then it's, but you're attached to it because it's offering you something like family or friends or inclusion. And I think that, like, with Jennifer, she's really smart and she is a primary. So she has maybe these kind of automatic challenges to what Olivia is offering her. But there's also, like, that belonging that she wants so desperately that um,
2: Olivia is also offering her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's probably kind of uh, Conflicting against the voices In her head, too, so it's probably very difficult
0: yeah. oh, I
2: I definitely Imagine so, too
0: Right, I mean, it makes me so I mean, now that we know, like, it just Makes me wonder, like, when Cole walked Out of that room, and Cassie Thought she was, like, I mean, um, Jennifer Thought that she was, like, sending him I mean, she knows Ramsey's gonna die, right Like, she knows that something, I just Wonder, like, what were the voices saying in her head Then, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe is she on is she's not uh, no she's still hearing the voices because we see her hearing the voices so yeah they're not under control it's not like she's taking medication to stop the voices at that point
1: right and I would uh, figure that Olivia would you know maybe want to utilize
0: that sure yeah um really quickly when I went back and watched the scenes between Olivia and Ramsey when they're at Monkey Mansion there's there's some really great um Kind of double meanings to a lot of what she says. So Ramsey thinks that he is leaving Monkey Mansion for good and going back to the future to see his son and thinks that he's saying goodbye to, or that the quote unquote this cycle is ending because he's doing that. So when Olivia says things like, um, you're coming to the end, your longing for your son will soon be over. It sounds like it fits with what he's expecting, but Olivia knows that he's going to die that day. <laughs>
1: so everything she's him to die.
0: <laughs> right. So, like, everything she's saying to him sounds like it fits, but she actually means something different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely made me step back. And, I, you know, sometimes I feel like I don't stop and think about the fact that Ramsey and Olivia were together for like over two decades. Mm-hmm. And When you see them here and then you think about how she's going to leverage that relationship in season three and insinuate her, you know, he's the key to getting her inside Raritan and all of the havoc that she wreaks, like during season three from within. Um, And the fact that they're talking about his son and she is the one that's going to raise his son. There's just so many, like, I feel like we don't talk a lot about it and I don't, stop and think about it a lot but for some reason it just struck me this time when i was watching it that between this and then when they meet you know they won't see each other again until the bridge um in the season two premiere and Ramsay and olivia just have this like really interesting like they were work colleagues essentially um like in a vacuum for over 20 years um and it's just kind of interesting thinking about how that plays out and the fact that she raised his, she, the son that he's doing everything for Olivia is the one that raises him. Um, it's just kind of crazy when you step back and think about it.
1: And, and it isn't something that we really are that I've really considered, you know, it's, but it is, it's a long time to know and work with somebody and to also, I don't know, like, I don't think that they're playing each other, but they definitely, it's a whole thing of like, our agendas right now are parallel, but mm-hmm or whatever, but not necessarily, you know, you
0: never get the feeling that they like each other. Right. And there's also so much that they, that the other one doesn't know. Right. So like it becomes clear in the season two premiere that Ramsey did not know what the plan was to release the virus. Didn't know that it was Jennifer that was going to release it in New York. He has no idea about any of that. And so, you know, when, when that information is given to the audience, it's not only letting us know where they need to go to next to try and stop the plague; it's also letting us know that he was not privy to all of this information. Um, he was the, and w- like
1: the money face, basically, right?
0: Yeah. Um, if you didn't have anything else about that, I wanted to make sure that we talked about because we meet Dr. Elliot Jones. Um, yeah, I love this, how we meet him too. Oh my gosh. I So Peter, is it Peter Outerbridge? Do you think that's how Outerbridge um, that you pronounce it? I love this actor. He is very different, but just as charming and so fun to watch um, in Nikita when he played this um, kind of like suave, but very funny Russian kind of bad guy. Um, But you kind of really enjoyed also watching him.
2: Um, So it depends. It's funny how actors and television stick with you in different ways, because even though he's been presented in different uh, formats, the first time I ever saw him was in orphan black and he plays the this creepy-ass cult leader, so I <laughs> always right, have a right. problem with him. Like, he... There's just something about him that I'm always, like, leery of because that character stuck so yeah. deeply in my mind. I
0: forgot about that. Oh, ri- oh, because I thought he was, like, the charming, like... the The charming bad guy who... Uh, may you know, de- but would always like change allegiances. And he just, I was whenever he popped up an episode in Nikita, I was just so glad he was on screen because yeah. he was just so fun to watch.
2: I didn't watch that when he was on though, so I saw him as a cult leader who has people impregnated with his own life force in order to propagate the next generation of. Oh. Oh God, that
0: was him.
2: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <exactly. Ooh. laughs>
0: well so he has a lot of really great range (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because here i think it's so interesting because we have heard snippets right from jones very small breadcrumbs like she wants everything cut out of her life about this guy right right and we've been wondering all season like what the fuck happened between these two and then you meet him and he's like this like I almost feel like he's like, like his energy is like, he's just so excited and he's like bouncing off the walls and he's wearing Converse and he's got a bracelet and rings and like the button shirt untucked, you know, like unbuttoned shirt, untucked. And he just seems like, he just seems so like charming. And and the way that he even refers to Jones, he's, he calls her cat and he's like affectionately like referring to something she would say and doing like her German accent. And none of it seems bitter and none of it like... None of it seems like a man that's holding the same kind of bitterness at that moment that when we saw Joe, like from Jones's perspective. Um, yeah. You know, he's so, almost like
2: a little kid. He's just yeah. so full of life, like, has so much put into this. And this is just like his baby, and he's so excited.
0: Yeah. Like, I, I at least I found him really charming and kind of disarming. When I was expecting, I don't know, like maybe it's just like I'm the woman and I was hearing the woman's point of view on like a messy divorce. And so I wasn't expecting to then be like, oh, I really like him. (laughs) And he's kind of adorable in his converse, like jumping up and down. Um, But the other thing is, um, just like we talked earlier, remember Beep, we were talking, we were trying to figure out where the ivy, the red ivy was coming from. And I had totally forgotten it's coming from him. Where he's, at that point, his capability, as far as he knows, is only to be able to send things into the future. And so all those red oh, leaves, right, right, right. Oh. all the red leaves that are showing up in 2043 are coming from him in that moment.
1: God, you're right.
0: And I had, I swear, I know that it's probably because I'm always thinking about, like, silly rabbit hole things. I swear I did not figure that out until this no. past week.
1: I would have never, <laughs> ever thought so. In fact, that's one of those things that I've always been like.
0: Huh? <laughs> like, where did they get that ivy from? <laughs> you too. Okay, that makes me feel I so much run. better. Did you? I, that made me. That makes me feel so I just much
1: it was better. Like some mystical thing. Like it was like here's the magical realism of the show. Or
0: like, I didn't know. Happens. Yeah. Or I didn't know <laughs> if it had to do with like the paradoxes, right? Like the paradox that we uh-huh. saw a couple episodes ago. No, it's it's. Elliot Jones sending (laughs) Ivy forward and they explain it in the scene. And I mean, they're not only explaining what we've been seeing in that episode with the red Ivy showing up with Jones and Adler. It's also giving us a preview of season two and what the red forest is when his lab assistant explains the effect of time on living things of turning things green to red. So there's a really important, um, like, mythology piece to what his lab assistant is explaining in that scene. But I also was just like, oh my God, Tina, you dumbass. It was always a dumbass. That's, that's super
1: subtle. <laughs> okay. Also, I like that that scene and um, all the scenes in 2015 in the Splinter Room are like yellow. Which I thought I think is really interesting because when we see the Splinter Room in the future, a lot of the times it's blue, right? Mm, the light, um, right? But the lighting is very, very. It's almost like I don't, you know, I don't know if they did probably yellow gel or something like that. So, um, you know, it's just it's just so saturated in that color that it's like, oh okay, yeah, yeah. And then um, he turns out to be working with the Twelve Monkeys who want to bring up the Red Forest. So it's like, okay, it's interesting,
0: yeah. Yeah, that piece is. I'm. I'm a little like I haven't watched that. That the next episode we see him in, I haven't watched in a while, so I'm a little fuzzy. Like when he's actually building Titan. Mm-hmm. Um, now, really quickly, there's a scene with um Cassie and Cole when they're sitting in the car outside of Raritan, um, and and it's funny because we get a lot of scenes. Cassie and Cole sitting in the car having these conversations actually it happens a lot. Like throughout the series, it's so
1: like. What a touchstone to life, though. I have so many <laughs> right. conversations in a car. You know what I Yes.
0: Mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there were two takeaways from it, though. It's a really brief scene, but I thought it was interesting when Cassie was like, what is this place? And Cole says, that's home. And it made me think of at the end of season two when he writes, this was home um, mm-hmm. at the House of Cedar and Pine. And the idea of home you know, the facility he's standing outside right now in that at that time period obviously isn't home, but I think it's t- to Cole at that moment. But when he's thinking about that place in 2043, I don't think it's just about the place, but the idea of home being a, where people you care about are. Yeah. Um, And not only that Ramsey was there, but that he obviously cares about Jones. Um, And I I mean, it's just a really brief line, and they probably didn't mean it back then. um, But it's just interesting, because it's something they return to with Cole describing different places as this is home, and it has to do with the people who were there. Yeah. And Um, also, like,
1: for Raritan, wouldn't that have been, besides the West Seven, but kind of like the first place that he, or not first place, but like a really significant place that he landed, you know, that was inside and, you know, apparently had a garden and...
0: Well, like yeah, that, that, that's true, thinking, like, right? He had the, he lived in the trailer with his father, and then he went to a foster home, which mm-hmm. by definition feels, like, transitory, Trans- right? Mm-hmm. And then it's the apocalypse, and he, I mean, he had that brief time with the West Seven, but then... But there's still
1: scavengers, you know right. what I mean? Like, they're still, like, living in tents and nomadic and moving around. But, like, in the apocalypse, the first place he really lands is Raritan.
0: yeah. Like, the only places where James Cole, like, had brief periods where he actually had a home were with his father as a child, Raritan, and the brief time um, in 1958-59. That's really sad. Oh, um, sorry. Oh. did I mean to guess. <laughs> I feel
2: sad. Um, okay, but the other but thing it's okay because Hannah was watching. No, not oh, <laughs> then.
0: It's, it's all confetti,
2: It's all confetti. It's all confetti.
0: The other thing that makes me be like, oh my God, on Rewatch, what the fuck? Is we have Elliot Jones inside raritan right? And we know he's in there right at that moment. And and this is because this is before Ramsey has arrived and Cassie and Cole are sitting outside that when Cole says that's home inside his fucking grandfather.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Right. Layers and layers. The layers and layers. Like and that didn't hit me till this last time that I watched that. I was like, oh, my God. Right. Like you have Cole outside. and He doesn't know that his grandfather is like inside that building. It's crazy. Crazy. Um. OK, so we have I don't know if you guys have like I think it's cool how they have that callback to Atari and that the way that you infiltrate Raritan is through the um, through the exhaust tunnels. And you've got Deacon and Cole both knowing that lesson from Atari. And so they're both utilizing that way to get in in different time periods. Um. You have the scene with Elliot and Ramsey and Ramsey. We find out that he was the money behind building Project Splinter Um, and that also there's the, you know, it's kind of like Chekhov's red briefcase, (laughs) what's in there (laughs) that he asked for. And it's going to be the travel, the time travel serum that's going to enable Cassie to go into the future. Then you have Cassie and Cole trying to get in. You have the maybe we should split up, which is never a fucking good thing in a season finale. You never split up in a season finale.
1: In general is stupid in this genre. <laughs> I remember watching like Supernatural and they're always splitting up. And I'm like, oh my God, don't you know it's some like evil inhabiting <laughs> force that's about to take you. And you're splitting up like dumbasses, even though this is your job.
0: It's like when you're watching a horror film and they're like, maybe we should go check downstairs. You're like, look, if it's a season finale and you guys are like holding, like, just don't split up because nothing good and will don't ever go happen in a
1: basement and don't go to a third floor like <laughs> duh this crime hello <laughs>
0: uh so um what the thing that i thought so Cassie walks into and i think it, it is the situation room that we're used to seeing everyone in when so when she's in Raritan in 2015 mm-hmm. she walks into the room with all of the red ivy that's the situation room with with the bulletin board with all of the like, investigation stuff that we're used to seeing in 2043. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: So when she walks in, and she sees all the red leaves, and we are taken, her mind goes to her red forest visions. And we see the forest is red, we hear some of the voice over again, we see the house of cedar and pine. And then we also see the red storms and the lightning that we're going to see in season two because of all the paradoxes and it's interesting because the editing it links it with the messengers in 2043 trying to utilize the time machine and so it's just really interesting foreshadowing of what the plot of season two is going to be linking the messengers with those red storms um which is kind of like an I don't think she saw that in her previous visions. She didn't see the red storm. So she's seeing something new and it's tied in the editing to the messenger. So it's like wonderful foreshadowing, setting up what is going to be sort of like the main conflict or plot in season two.
1: It's also interesting because it adds like a really in story reason to something, to something that's kind of mystical that could be quote unquote, like psychic visions. Or I think about when the machine acts up in season two, is it two seven when it sends back, it's almost like ghosts, like um, mm-hmm. th- from the army guys and all the other people who are like caught up in the time crap, like craziness. If you think about it in like terms of like slightly mystical, but grounded in the story that she's like seeing something in the future that she'll experience. It's kind of cool. Like, it's just <laughs> like, a, um, it's a way to ground that within the rules of what they're playing with here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like
0: deja
2: vu. Backwards. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that brings us to the Ramsey and Cole face off. Um, and I think it's really, they it's a very personal and grounded in these two characters' point of view and their feelings and their experiences, but it also is so important thematically. Um, like this one versus 7 billion conversation that they're ha that they're having. And I, I feel like on other shows, sometimes that comes off kind of heavy handed, but somehow it just like works. I, at least it does for me. Um, and I guess it's just because it's grounded so much in Ramsey talking about his son and, and basically calling out Cole on saying, well, you're not doing all of this for that 7 billion. You're doing this for her. Because yeah. you love her. And, and Cole's going to admit that in Lullaby. He's going to tell Cassie, like, I, I was doing this, like, I was doing all of this for you. Um, so it's interesting that, Rand, like, maybe that's why it works so well. It's because it's just grounded so much in these two characters and things that we can, like, understand. That it doesn't seem like this kind of more esoteric one versus seven billion conversation. Um, but I think it's really interesting. Like, it's just so clear in the way... Um, Kirk Acevedo plays the scene that he is shocked to see that Cole is alive. And I think it's interesting because they both must seem almost like ghosts to one another. Mm-hmm. Because for Ramsey, Cole has been dead for 25 years. And here he shows up exactly as he remembered him looking in Tokyo. But because of Jones's serum, even though Ramsey has been living sort of out of time now for 25 years, he hasn't aged. And so he looks exactly the same to Cole, even though he's been like, he's now 20. Am I thinking about this the right way? He's now like 25 years older than the last time Cole saw him. So it's just like this crazy, Um, You know, and I think you can really see it like on Ramsey's face, just how surprised he is and like to see that his friend is alive and really hitting home, I think, for the audience that so much of what Ramsey has been doing has been sort of living with this guilt and thinking that his friend, is, you know, is dead. Um, But I thought it was interesting you know, not only is it a big, like, Megan, we've been keeping track of sort of, like, big shipper moments. We can, like, check a box of of having another character calling Cole out on being in love with Cassie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Ramsey kind
1: of goes out of his way, doesn't
0: he? <laughs> yeah, yep, to be like, which, you know, is giving us a little something to hold on to when they're going to be separated by 30 years. <laughs> The end of the episode. Um, but I thought it would, there were some interesting callbacks to previous episodes when Ramsey says to Cole, killing you can't be the last thing I do here. Cole said that to Jones about Ramsey um, in Divine Move, mm-hmm. that killing Ramsey can't be the last thing that I do here when he thought he was going that he thought when he thought he was dying and was about to leave, um, the future for the last time. And they also call back to Atari. Um, sometimes you're out of moves and just like divine move, um, that episode, there are kind of, there's two divine moves that happen. I think in this episode, first th- sending Cassie to the future, um, to save her life, but also cold changing fate and saving Ramsey. Um, yeah. So there's just some, there was some great, really, like, some of them more obvious than others, like, specifically calling out Atari, but also calling back to that line. Well, Um, it's also what
1: Elliot talks about, right, when he's mocking Jones, or, like, playfully making fun of what she'd say that, you know, science is like watching paint dry, or, like, you really can't tell when a leap happens, like, it's only in retrospect. mm -hmm. And that's, like, exactly what's happened here, right? Like, a leap happens, something shifts, and two things shift, right? Cassie goes forward and Ramsey is saved. And only in looking back can Olivia see that, right? That the cycle has been totally altered from what she thought. Um, so it's nice. Some like nice meta commentary there about, um, yeah, like you can't always see what's happening at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely. And, and a lot and characters are changing right in front of one another. Mm-hmm. Um So really quickly, Jones in 2043, I think there's some interesting character work going on with her. Um, She thinks that her mission has come to an end. um, And she, I mean, she says basically, I have failed and I have nothing to live for. Um, And so I think there's a really interesting thread that runs through the show, particularly in season two, where we have a whole episode about Jones like losing hope and them needing to restore her hope by bringing Hannah back um, and, and however way that they can by, st- but still preserving um, how things have played out with her thinking that she's dead. But it all goes back to what we were talking about, like in the last episode in paradox with her father saying that it's the heart that sustains us. I mean, Jones still has her machine there they are being invaded. But, like, even before then, it seems like because Jones no longer knows what's going to happen, and with Cole now she thinks being lost to the past, she's kind of given up. Um, and it's just really interesting how much what her father said is true, but, like, about her. Um, because she's going to kind of be in this zero fucks to give We have failed and the mission's over and I have nothing to live for until the end of the season two premiere where somehow that crucible that they go through with fighting the messengers. And even though the machine is destroyed, when she sees it destroyed in front of her, that's somehow what like reignites her will and to be like, okay, we're going to repair it um, and then we're going to continue the mission. And so it still
1: works. Cassie comes through.
0: Right, and I guess it's because Um, something comes along that's unexpected, that she's like, oh, we can can, continue. It's
1: It's like we still have choices to make.
0: Yeah, Um, and I also think it's interesting the way she has begun, I mean, Spearhead comes back to roost in a couple different ways in this episode, so the reason why they get the baths. Um, is from somebody, the gentleman who came from Spearhead and is basically all doing this for revenge for what Jones did at, um, Jones did there. Um, but also she, when she is called out by what she did, when she's facing off against the messengers with the dynamite and they're saying, you can't trust her, look what she did at Spearhead. She's basically like, I I know what I did. Um, and she's now offering herself up Um To save whatever will happen to her with the messengers to save all of the other personnel in the facility. So it's kind of an interesting moment of her clearly thinking about what she did and trying to atone for it in in some way, and giving up her life for everybody else who's there. That takes us to the big moment of Cassie and Cole and Ramsey and that big face-off. Do you guys have anything you want to say to sort of kick us off about that?
1: Talk about a loaded scene. (laughs) I know.
0: I I, I just, like, if we can break it down, this is, I think this scene's interesting because it's another circumstance of characters having incomplete information and the audience is omniscient.
1: They're, they're incomplete information. And usually I hate that because usually it means people aren't – It usually it's a device to, like, create conflict that's really inorganic. But with this, it's like everyone's information is incomplete. Everyone is coming from, like, really high-charge stakes of, like, where they have a very significant, like, point of view and motivation. And then it just is like you put them all in a room with really high stakes, you have like one way out, like Chekhov's like Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) time serum, and you have a lot of guns. (laughs) Right. No, and what I think is interesting about both this face-off and the face-off on the rooftop at the end of the season two premiere. And the bridge. Like, I
1: feel like there's like three face-offs, right? Like, it's just kind of like these conflicts where people are like, I don't know, like Olivia kind of comes in because she has a point of view about the story, right? And then mm-hmm. at the end, it's like Jennifer comes in and then there's this thesis where kind of Cole completes the thesis at the end of, I guess, episode two, which is, or during episode two, which is like, I was good to her and she made
0: a different choice, right? Right. Well, but uh, yes, and I definitely want to come back to that um, for sure. But really quickly, the in, in terms of characters having incomplete, information and how that impacts Cole's point of view versus Cassie's point of view. Mm-hmm. So before Cassie walks into the room, Cole and Ramsey have had a conversation that establishes some key facts, I think that are determinative for the way that Cole then handles the conflict with Ramsey. So of course, Rick, it's going to be very difficult for Cole to put a bullet in the brother who raised him like for most of his life. Right. And so even approaching this from Cassie's point of view versus Cole's point of view, it's much easier for Cassie to walk into that room and say, shoot him than it is for Cole to be able to do that. And I still think shooting somebody affirmatively, it is different. I mean, I guess philosophers could debate that, but (laughs) and maybe and and yeah and maybe it's just like my lawyer brain but like there is a difference at least how our society like would frame culpability if you set up a series of events which result in someone's death but you didn't like affirmatively put a bullet in their head which is what happens with Aaron versus standing across from Ramsey and And firing a gun and putting a bullet in them and dying. And we can certainly debate that. But I do think there's like a little bit of a difference in terms of whether you risk your life to then go jump into a fire and try and save someone when it looks pretty grim versus Mm -hmm. whether you stand across somebody who's right in front of you and you shoot them. So you have that. It's Um, interesting,
1: ethical. Yeah, it is.
0: Like helping versus affirmatively shooting and is leaving someone that you could help at the end of the day. Is that really any different than somebody you affirmatively kill? Like absolutely. There's a debate to have there. But I do think it's at least a debate as to whether there's a difference there. But just like Cassie doesn't have the full story about what went down between Cole and Aaron, when they walk into that facility, they think that Ramsey is there to blow up the machine. Mm -hmm. And what Cole learns from his conversation before Cassie arrives is if you take Ramsey at his word, he has no intention to blow up the machine at all. All he's trying to do is to get to the future, to be with his son. And so already the stakes as to why Ramsey's there, if you believe him, and it's sure debatable as to whether you should, right? Because he's been on their side. So absolutely. But Cassie's walking into the room thinking that he's like the witness and he's there to like blow up the machine. And Cole knows that that's not, He knows that that's not the case. So already, it's kind of asymmetrical in terms of like what Cole knows in that face off versus what Cassie knows. And so I I just think that that's like an interesting difference in terms of like, which isn't going to be clarified, right? Cassie's not going to know any of that, because she's going to get thrust into the future. And then she's going to be stewing over it for like eight months.
2: I don't think there's any reason to doubt Ramsey's authenticity. I mean, he was aligned with Olivia for a long time, but it's like essentially because nobody else was around. Like they had mm-hmm. one thing in common, you know, one goal in common, but he doesn't care about, you know, the, it's not like he wants the plague released. We know in a, that we like, know in that. active. Yes, way.
0: absolutely. Like we as the audience who is omniscient, we know that. There's no reason why like, when Cassie walks into that room when Cole's like we can talk about this and Cassie's like really really Ramsey can we talk about this I get her like
2: I get why she's yeah yeah no 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 totally I thought you were saying that you didn't know if well, Cole should I mean, believe him like you didn't know if he was believable I don't, I don't think that's yeah I all.
0: mean I don't know like he, your friend betrayed you and was working against you for 25 years I think he believes him. I think that it would also be understandable if he still had some doubts. But, yeah, like, I I think Cole believes him in that moment. I get why Cassie doesn't. Um, And she also didn't get to hear that. She comes into the room after he's just given that whole explanation.
2: Oh, Cassie has no reason to give him any leeway whatsoever, even if she did know what he I mean, I also think it's
0: interesting that you, we go all the way back to episode three, I think, when Cole was the one who taught Cassie how to hold a gun, how to shoot a gun. And she hasn't shot a gun, am I right? Like the whole season. She came close with um, Oliver Peters and finally she shoots the gun. And it's just so interesting to think back. Could you have imagined when we were watching episode three and Cole was teaching her how to shoot a gun that the person she finally was going to shoot is (laughs) Ramsey? (laughs) <laughs> like the season finale, like you never would have thought that that's how it would all go down. No. Cause they shouldn't right.
2: even cross paths. So it's just story. like,
0: I don't know if it's right to call it Cassie's like Chekhov's gun. <laughs> that is all the way back from like, that's that episode three, but it is a remarkable character arc reversal that the Cole who shot Leland Goines and shot Henri is the one that in this scene is saying you don't have to shoot him and it's Cassie who's the one that pulls the trigger when she was so horrified by it at the beginning of the season. So, it
2: using the exact same reasoning that Cole used about Aaron and why his death was okay. Yep. He made his so I mean, if I was Cassie, I would be pretty um upset.
1: <laughs> yeah, when I got back when I got quote unquote back to the future, but you know, slightly salty to say the least least. like (laughs) these rules apply are okay for you but like Mm -hmm. now they they don't apply to me like now you want me to be like all i don't know
0: ethical or whatever (laughs) i mean but the thing is is that i mean uh, the thing that is so i think that is what makes it such a phenomenal conflict is that the reason why they are now they, they begin the series at odds morally and they end this season at odds with making a moral choice. But it is because of the impact that they've had on, on each other. It's
1: beautiful. It's that beautiful, they've really reversed. Great writing. It's really great writing. And it it's all, like, it's yeah, the perfect ahead. kind of almost figure eight, right? Where you mm-hmm. like, you start, you depart, like you kind of come together and then it's opposite again.
0: Right. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so great. Um, and then that takes us to... Uh, Cassie is bleeding out. And I actually think that the fact that Ramsey is still, he knows that Jones isn't going to save him, but I think it's like a testament to the kind of man that Ramsey is that even though he has been like at odds with his friend and this woman just shot him, he pushes that briefcase over and is is the one that comes up with the idea to save her.
2: This is Ramsey's only way to make amends at this point. That's but he's dying. Right. He thinks he's dying. So, he is nothing maybe
0: maybe he's like it's not like he has anything really to 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 earn like long to gain long term by doing it it is a like fundamentally like a decent act and i think it's like a learning to the audience like even though this person has been at odds with our protagonist like he's a lot more complicated and layered um and I, I mean i just think it's like a really maybe i'm just like a ramsey like pro ramsey squad but i think in that moment given the conflict that they've had and given the fact that she just shot him that he still tries to save her says a lot for the kind of person he is
1: yeah i I think that like 12 monkeys isn't interested in your cardboard villain right like it's not interested in
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um someone is quote unquote bad even olivia right like by the end of the series that Mm -hmm. picture is complicated I mean, take Ethan, right? Like he is the witness, and then in one episode, we're like all crying for this dude.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like
1: I hate crying for that kind of character. Like, don't make me feel bad for who's supposed to be the villain. But then they twist it all, right? They they twist with Olivia, and then they twist with Ramsay too. Like, you know, he may may make choices that to us seem maybe kind of. I mean, can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Like you have people who are very, who really understand his choices and then people who think he's a hypocrite and people who think he's like too, um, I don't know, strident or whatever. But in the end, he's, he's a feeling person, right? And he loves Cole and he sees that Cole loves this person. And if he's dying, well, you know, then yeah, Cassie should try and take that and go to her
2: only option. Mm-hmm. Um. Ramsey's kind of a victim of this not being his story. He's not, I mean, he's not the enemy. He's just, this is not, you know, it's kind of like with Aaron, like it's just not the direction that the narrative is going. So there's only so much like leeway. Right,
0: because when I think, I think, or at least I I can speak for myself, when we, for example, are in season three and Cassie and Cole make that decision in, is it nurture or nature? Nature, where they're going to go off on their own and save their son. I'm like fist pumping and I'm like, yes, go save your son. <laughs> Even though like it's at that point, all we know is that their son is the witness and that puts 7 billion people at risk, but I'm still fist pumping it. right? right. and maybe not everyone is, but I was. Um, and I don't think as many people were fist pumping when Ramsey made the choices that he made during season one.
1: Which is a really interesting dichotomy to explore about, right? Protagonist, antagonist,
0: whose mm-hmm. story is
1: whose, like Beep was saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think – I don't know. I Yeah. There's so an unformed you- thought there somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll think of it like an hour after we're done recording.
1: Um, <laughs> I'll be like
0: twit-tweeting you like, hey. <laughs> Remember that, yeah. Um, okay. Does that bring us to the goodbye scene? Oh, <sighs> I mean of pain, <laughs> super joy. we're just gonna go down like just brace yourself because we're gonna like allow ourselves some major shipper feels and yes. I think I think look I think scenes like this that are like epic with the swelling music romantic like, as fuck I mean it's a fucking like bridal carry and right like he's like carrying her threshold to the future damn it yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like as you were saying, like, like it's all bathed in that golden light yeah. and they're like touching each other's faces and you're sitting there being like, oh my god, they're gonna kiss, but they don't because they're fucking amazing at the slow burn because and they it's only book one. They right. can't kiss yet. You can't kiss like think I think maybe they could have, but because kind of season two resets everything, but it's better that they don't, right? No, like because then you I have think. to you have to get the
1: sex interspliced with the death. <laughs> Well,
0: but you have to let, right. Like then you wouldn't have had that the kiss be so monumental and blood washed away. Right. So like it is, we, we will talk about it, but they like run a clinic in how you execute a, excellent and epic slow burn romance. But this scene, like if you're going to, if you are going to torture us for the next see almost next season with them being in conflict, then you gotta give us a big moment like this with the swelling music. And they totally do.
1: Well, that's the thing about the show that I just appreciate uh, so much is that they understand that, like they understand how to weave in the romantic with, the rest of the story and make it just as epic right and just mm-hmm. as in character just as like like why would you shirk this scene like as much as they've been in conflict for the past episode or so like they still have been through a lot together and like cole understands what he's sending cassie to and cassie doesn't cassie's in shock like she's in physical trauma and you know it's just oh it's just so good it's so good <laughs>
0: I mean, I love the way the scene plays out because she's so scared. Right. And upset. I think she, is there even like a tear? Like she's, right, she's really emotional, Um, which I feel like it kind of takes a moment like this to make Cassie show emotion like that overtly, right? And you got Cole trying to be like brave. Like she's like, goodbye. Like she thinks she's going to die and or she's never going to see him again. And he's right. trying to put on the brave face like, no, 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 it's what we always say. See you soon, right? And she's right. kind of like-
1: oh. Oh, right? Damn it, Tina. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he said, see you soon. And then I just cracked. Just swallow in it for a minute. Just swallow. Right. Like, he's putting on. I mean, it's interesting
1: because it's kind of. Because you were just like, she thinks it's going to be forever. And he's like, see you
0: soon. And I'm oh. like,
2: God
0: damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have given you warning. I'm like, actually, like, have tears. <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay, I'm for this, right? We have.
0: <laughs> well, it, it's also the way they play it. Kind of reminds me of their farewell, or you know, maybe it's just kind of the way their characters handle things like that, like moments like this. Because in the series finale, when they're saying goodbye at the time machine, Cassie is very emotional, and Cole is very clearly trying to put on the brave face. Um, and that's kind of the way. and like,
1: Tina, this is very rude. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, watching this scene, it reminds me of that dynamic. Like she's kind of falling apart, and he's one like, nope, no, I'm going to see you soon. And you can see him trying to be brave and like get the emotions in check, and like. That could be, of course, whatever she was feeling about anger or confusion about him, whatever he was feeling about what the hell you just shot my brother when I asked you not to, whatever they were feeling in that moment, they're saying, they could be saying goodbye and she could be dying. Of course, all that stuff melts away.
1: Well, right? and my shipper self is like, well, that's right. Exactly. That's what melts it away. And the core there is love, right? Like right. all the other bullshit and that they have some crazy bullshit between uh-huh. <laughs> is stripped away. And at that moment, they love each other and they need that emotional touch shown. Yeah. Um, like they, they really essentially, and I mean that in like the real literal way of the word, they essentially need each other for this to do what they're going to do. And, um, and it just makes what happens over the next eight months or a year, just I mean i love it it's epic right it's just this epic love story and of course she's gonna like you know get more hard-shelled and she's gonna have her own trials and go through her own trauma and it's gonna separate them but like you know in this moment we see the truth of like their emotions and their feeling for each other and that is just like they love each other
0: right it's because and- of this and it's because of the circumstances that they let that guard down a little it's bit
1: because of this time machine they were brought together they wouldn't have <sighs> ever met each other without the time machine. And now they're using it to separate themselves. Like, it's just a really tragic irony that I am here for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Damn it. That was mean, Megan. That was mean.
1: <laughs> because at the end, right, like the universe sends him back to her. And that's kind of it's such a great completion of all of these circles and cycles of them being together and apart is at the end, the cosmos is like, you know what? We owe you one.
0: Mm-hmm
2: oh god i know (laughs) but you're basic you're basically describing though that this this physical being like this time machine in and of itself is like both in terms of their relationship is its creation and destruction Mm -hmm. i would absolutely say so
1: and then resurrection absolutely yeah. Oh, it's so good.
0: And it's also just shot so like, you know, romantic. Yeah, the the music swells, right? Like it's kind of like this like operatic's not the right word, but like the music sw- is a good
1: word for you it. You think so? Like yes, climbing the like steps high and drama. the
0: music swells and the light and you're just like, "Holy shit, is this, this the same is- show I've been watching? like right? Cuz the right. show has been kind of like been gritty um and, and not I mean, Paradox had some moments like that. But this is like, holy shit. Like like me watching it, I kind of was like, oh, man, I might kind of be in trouble now. Like yeah. I might really, really ship this now.
1: Fuck. Right. <laughs> because there's so. like, almost like literally a spotlight on them. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they're like this, this. <laughs> like yeah. pay att- they are center screen. There's like a spotlight on them. It's just them full frame. Like it's very like visually pay attention you know what i mean
2: are they no No, we needed you we needed you to ground us and bring us back
0: because megan and i are just like (laughs) we're escalating we're just egging each other (laughs) absolutely (laughs) (laughs) well and what i love about this is that like and this this is getting a little bit into the next episode but like so they're not going to see each other for it's like eight, I'm not quite, it's eight months for Cassie. I'm not quite, it's, it's kind of, it's 2016 in, in Budapest for Cole. So it's, I don't know if it's the same eight months or like a year for him. Man, man,
1: I love this shit.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And what it's interesting oh. because we will get into it, but from this moment, it is clear that Cole has, I think when he's talking to, um, Brendan Coyle, the guest star who plays mm-hmm. the Doctor in Budapest, when he's talking about Cassie, I and I and this happens like in real life when people are separated, he he has taken stock of the change that she has wrought in him. But I think he's also romanticized her a little bit. Oh, for sure. And you has, know,
1: when he he's talking about like pre plague. So he has, you know. Right. Hiding out in bunkers. He can like romanticize.
0: uh, Oh, Oh, (laughs) I remember this. I remember this. Like, I remember this doctor that like with a ball of vodka and a knife took it out of me and she made me a better man. And he's he's like he's romanticizing her and putting her up on this like pedestal. Mm -hmm. And that happens when you're separated from somebody, right? And he's not, I don't think he's held on or he has chosen not to focus on sort of the, what he found worrying signs of her shutting down emotionally that he was registering in the season one finale and the camera made sure to show us him registering it.
1: Well, Um, he's not, he doesn't think he's ever going to see her again. He's basically eulogizing her, right? Like he's almost dead to him.
0: And then on the other hand, you've got Cassie from this moment She's clearly because she's when she's dreaming, she's thinking about like them sharing a bed together, which is always hilarious to me in a TV show. when like two characters like, oh, we've got nowhere to sleep. I guess we have to sleep next to each other. It's the best trope in the world. It's the best trope in the world. Um, But um, she also is stuck alone in this hellhole and. I mean, she's happy to see him on the, and like, I'm sorry, we're like totally getting ahead of ourselves, but I just think it's interesting to think about, this is their moment of goodbye. Mm -hmm. It's obviously very emotional. Then they're going to very different places, and who they become in each other's minds has to do with, like, that, it, it intensifies that conflict when they come crashing back together, and they've changed, or they haven't changed, right? Like, I don't know how much Cole has changed. Um, I think he's been softened by staying in our time, but um, Cassie has certainly changed a lot. So and I it, think,
1: go ahead. No, no, that's it. I was going to say that it's a time change that I'm going to mention another show uh, or book. It reminds me of Outlander and these are Outlander spoilers for anyone who hasn't read or watched the show, but like, you know, they get separated after for a long time. Mm -hmm. I won't reveal everything. But it always reminds me of this like fundamental idea of epicness of like, we went through this thing together. And now one of us has to say goodbye. We don't know if we're going to see each other again. But like, is it asked the question like, is love? eternal, like, can you come back? Like, what changes us? Like, what is the nature of like, romantic partner kind of love? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, How much of it is work? How much of it is like, quote, unquote, soulmate? How much of it is like, you know, destiny and fate? And I think it's interesting because they, they do kind of ask it. And they ask those questions in 12 Monkeys, in all levels of like friendship, work, big fake questions of cycles and circles and the word of the witness and stuff. But then I think with like separating and bringing Cole and Cassie back together, they're also asking it romantically. Like, you know, like, can you choose to be with someone over all of this trial? Like, can you work your way back together? Like, I don't know. It's just really epic, and I really love it. Yeah, I'm, something only time travel can really dig into this way.
0: Well, know? right. I mean, and it's making. I mean, because it's something that people in real life who are constantly changing and being changed by experiences, and and you know, perhaps reconsidering or recommitting, like. Am I, are you going to stay in this relationship? What does this person right. mean to me having children? How does that change that? Like whatever, whatever form like that relationship takes, it's all exploring something that human beings are dealing with all the time. It's just kind of heightening right. the, you know, it's doing it in a very dramatic way, or it's making time passing at like, literally by separating people and giving them different experiences and crashing together. But it's all just like heightened drama for things that people deal with all the time in real life. Right. Like I've Uh changed, this person's changed. How does that, does that change how I feel about them?
1: It even makes me think back to Elliot's quoting of Katarina where like, uh, science doesn't notice the changes or the big leaps. And I think you can say that about relationships too, right? Like it's our own kind of quote unquote metaphorical time travel in relationships when we, Kind of wake up from whatever life stage we're in and we're like, oh, I'm kind of a different person now. Like, and I have a partner, or I have friends or I have community. Where do I fit?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: A little tangential, but.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. Um, I think, no, I think that's why certain romantic stories resonate and have a life beyond wondering if when they're going to smash their faces together right. and other ones don't. Yeah, it's like
1: a longevity kind of thing. Right,
0: they like touch on something deeper and it's more about, it's more than just like, when are they going to kiss? Yeah.
1: Right, because with Cassie and Cole, even in the future, that goes beyond just like, when are they going to kiss to like, can they do this epic thing together? They have a child together. Like, it's a very, it's epic and it's grounded, right? Like, it's something that is something that most of us will never experience. And at the same time, things that, most of us will kind of experience in some capacity.
0: Right. Absolutely. Like you can absolutely have a conversation in a much different circumstance about something about your child Mm -hmm. and whether that has to do, does it have to do with you? Does it have to do with me? Does it have to do with something we did like together? Right. Like absolutely. Even if it's not, is my child the witness who's going to bring about the destruction of the earth? (laughs) So,
1: um, and speaking so, of now yeah. with like I sorry the next point of the outline is like Olivia and the babies. I'm like mm-hmm. now we get into the baby point. of yes. starting the baby point of this the show.
0: Right. So it's crazy now that we know that Olivia's mother, Mantis, who we will <laughs> s- I know, who we will see in this season two premiere. Um, with her face being washed off, and she's one of the messenger, one of the six that makes it back. Now we know that she's Olivia's biological mother, and she's one of those babies that adult Olivia is looking at, and it's crazy. <laughs> um, and also, in those babies is Charlie from Blood Washed Away, and all of our antagonists, we're seeing them at the beginning of their life and then as adults. Um, in the, season, in the season one finale, it just like breaks my brain that Olive, adult Olivia is looking at the in, her infant mother. Um, we have the big Cole saves Ramsey. There's nothing more powerful than fate moment. It's so funny. Anyone, um, just like my friends like here in town who have been watching the show, I always, when they get to this episode, my husband and I always get text messages from them where they are fist pumping. To this moment with Olivia saying there's nothing more powerful than fate. And when Cole turns back around to save Ramsey, it's such a fist pumping moment. It's so phenomenal, like thematically character growth, their relationship. It's a moment that will is so important for Cole um, in choosing like a hopeful act, an act out of love, um, asserting free will, it's equally important, but in a different way for Olivia, because it's going to be to begin to shake the foundation of her faith, which is going to set her on the path to becoming the witness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also an important moment for Ramsey, right? Like he still needs to come around a little bit in the season two premiere. But I think this moment of Cole saving him is what pushes him to start thinking about more than what is ultimately a pretty selfless stance that he is going to help Cole and Project Splinter, even if it means his son's being erased. Um, I think that it's such an important moment for a lot of people.
2: And
1: it reverses their role, right? Like uh, Cole saves Ramsey instead of Ramsey looking after Cole. Like I feel like it kind of equalizes their relationship in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, It uh, equalizes the power dynamic there. Mm-hmm. It also, like, as you were talking, I was like, it does also remind me of Sam carrying Frodo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it does. <laughs> I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, true friends, true brothers. And it is a, it is a really fist-pumping moment because, <clears throat> you know, um, we do want to believe that we have some agency when it comes to this stuff.
0: Right. Yeah, it is. um And then that brings us to the big moment with Cassie arriving in 2043 and Jones's face of what the fuck. I Um, love
1: their relationship. It's so real. mm -hmm. Like she's happy to see her. And then you also know that their relationship is just not the easiest, you know, and that's just real, you know? Yeah. But they respect each other.
0: And I, I actually, I don't know why the parallel had never struck me before, but katarina saving cassie in this season two premiere cass they're going to be in the reverse positions in the season four premiere where cassie's having to save save jones and it's a fraught um decision for her as to whether she's going to do it um but it's like an interesting reversal there um god poor cassie i mean what the fuck she's like shot And is splintered through time and dropped in the post-apocalypse. And the only person she knows is Jones, who she spent maybe 48 hours with. And it is, I just, like, poor Cassie.
1: (laughs) It's just so fucked up. she can't go outside, like, this place is inherently dangerous to Cassie. Um, oh right yeah you know what i mean like nothing there is actually safe for her like they could all be carriers of the virus and she could die i'm sure she like as soon as she woke up she's like oh shit (laughs)
2: yeah
0: man so it's kind of i think that brings us did you guys have anything else about this episode
1: just that i think it's a really you know um i was listening to the pod before and amanda and terry were talking about how they felt like they could see the warts and they could see the wobbles and it wasn't quite complete but to me, I feel like it really ends very well. Like, it ends in a way that sets up what they're going to go for. It, you know, has attack with all of the myth- mythology, with all of the thematic work. And um, it really pushes you forward to the next. Like, what's going to happen next? And then the season two premiere happens. And it's just like, holy crap. Like, there are two shows I can think of that have a complete, like, they go from good, good and fun in season one to like another thing entirely in season two. Mm-hmm. One of them is Shadowhunters, which I think they just got a hundred million dollars added to their budget for mm-hmm. season two. Mm-hmm. The other one, like in terms of like doing a lot with a little, like when they open season two in Twelve Monkeys, it's just like you're immediately immersed. Right. Into the story in almost a very like grand way that kind of matches how they sent you out in season one. And yeah, so I yeah, think that they really do a good job of like, this is the first part of the story. And this is the foundation. This is what we're setting up. And we're going to do all this stuff and it's entertaining and it's really good. And then in season two, we're going to platform that and we're just going to like leap.
0: Yeah, each season does bigger. that. Each season, I feel like, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, you know, I guess of all of the series finales in the show, this one doesn't have, like, I mean, Cassie being sent to the future is kind of like a what the fuck moment, I I think. But maybe doesn't seem like it now in comparison to, like, the mother chanting holy shit (laughs) moment at the end (laughs) of season two or that... Ethan coming back and Olivia the witness or like the series finale, which are now all like jaw dropping moments on parallel with like, you know, Locke and Jack looking down the shaft, like it lost, right. Like, or Alia, Steve being dead for two years, like those types of huge draw dropping, like series finales. But like, it's, it's a, it's a pretty great series finale in that like it, it totally sets up both character and plot wise yeah. everything that we need, like that now in the season, when you watch this, when you watch them back to back, like we did, and we're talking about them, it's like seamless. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's
1: literally like sticking in the next disc of a. Yes,
0: trilogy. absolutely. Yeah. Beep, you were saying like when you really started, like it's when the show shifted away from the plague that you started like
2: yeah. When the show really starts to open up its own mythology and like you said, it shifts after two oh two. Now that all the pieces are in place, like they laid the groundwork and it's fantastic. And now that all the pieces are in place and literally the people are mm-hmm. in place in mm-hmm. time, then you know, it really I feel like the oh, momentum starts going and it becomes more ensemble and there are just so many people with um more layers and input. Yeah, than it's almost they like two oh
0: two is the bookend on the plague, right? Like we finally see them stop, like destroy the virus that that shifts time. And then that, and then in 203, we're shifting. It's, it's about the messengers and what are they up to? Um, And I think the show even looks a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when they go back to 1944, just like this, I mean, the cinematography looks different, like even in this season premiere. Um, It's much more cinematic. Yeah. Um. So, like, we finally got to season two. <laughs> um. So, Yay, like, Romeo I know. <laughs> like, how many hours? It's been that? a. It's been a long run, guys. It's
2: worked very hard.
0: <laughs> um, I remember watching this premiere, and we like my husband and I binged these first two seasons. So. I went. I don't know. Like, I think we usually make a rule from ourselves that you're not allowed to watch the season premiere in the same night as the season finale because it feels like particularly like cheating. You got to stew with it, like at least one night.
1: Oh, I would hate that. Uh, No, I feel like it's
0: got to marinate, like that. Whatever the what the fuck moment, whatever they wanted you to have to sit there with, we kind of make ourselves sit with it for like one night. That's usually our rule. Um, But when this opened up. Um, I had this moment of. Oh, Budapest 2016. And maybe it's because I was like a big Alias fan. I'm used to that like placard going up. But then when you follow Ramsey through the alleys and he's actually running on that fucking bridge, I'm like, holy shit, they're actually in Budapest. What the fuck? (laughs) Um, And it's just, right? It just looks like a a movie. Um, And Budapest is just gorgeous. So like, you know, you don't have to like try hard to make that those bridges and that city look beautiful. But like, it just looks like... All of a sudden we're watching, like, Mission Impossible or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. That you're, like, in this crazy exotic location and they're actually on a bridge and shit is actually blowing up on a bridge. It just is like, oh, my God, is this the same show? Um, And, I mean, it's not – you know, they went on location different places in season one, but it just feels like the world is literally, like, opening up. Um, Yeah. And it's just it like opens
1: an- up, yeah, geographically and temporally, right? Like, because then they start going back to the nineteen forties and stuff like that. So, yeah.
0: Um, before we um, head into the big um, opening scene on the bridge, going through it, there were two quick things. So, there's fir- there's two things like when. We end up like talking about TV and like comparing shows and we mentioned it before, but I think there's two things that season two, like a lot of other television writers could learn a lot from the way the show handles two things in season two. (laughs) The first is, we will leave this to the end, um, is how to build a slow burn romance that balances Making us wait and want something and making it um what is this this is a quote from Veronica Mars. Um, you never write nobody ever wrote songs about the ones that come easy. Um and like making an epic kind of angsty slow burn romance where you're fist pumping when they finally do kiss, but right. not overstaying your welcome. Um, in pulling dragging out that will there won't they where the audience finally gets too frustrated and starts not to care. Mm-hmm. Um, or are we talking
1: about that at the end.
0: Or are we talking about that right now? <laughs> <laughs> we can do both. We can do both. Um, I I we can do both. Right. Like we can just take that right now. Um. they they, it runs like these kinds of will they or won't they romances run into either stretching out the anticipation for so long that the audience loses patience and then you're just not as excited about it by the time it does happen um or two you pull the trigger you put them together and then you come up with a million bullshit reasons People fake out deaths, um, love triangles, um, like, wives and husbands that pop up out of nowhere. Like, all of the bullshit things you Mm -hmm. can think of over the course of many, many shows that we have all watched to then force, because you need drama, and people always think the drama has to come from people breaking up and getting back together. Um, And somehow, like, if you think about how they open up this season – It very easily could have been like a love quadrangle, right? Like you've got this kind of weird tension with with Jennifer and Cole. You've got Mm -hmm. the Deacon and Cassie and the Cole jealousy, which is fun to watch. Um, But the way they handle all of it and subvert all of it in a way that is not the way that we're expecting. And they make us wait all of season two And they do have obstacles and they are separated at the end of season two. I don't know about you, though. Like, it just – I was never felt – if I felt frustrated, it was because I was supposed to be, right? Like, I'm supposed to be like, oh, they're arguing, right? But it never dragged out that it wore out its welcome in terms of the anticipation. And the obstacles never – they were, like, soul-crushing, but they never, like, annoyed me because they didn't feel like they were just being, like, manufactured out of thin
2: air, to well, separate them. I think it's because... Good. Well, that's what I was going to say. I don't think the writers were fucking yeah, with you. No. Which is what sure. gets annoying. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, hmm <laughs> <laughs> Some examples might be coming
1: to mind. But yeah. Um, um, I also think it's because their, their independent character growth means something. Um, like, you never feel like they're growing with the explicit... Or they're growing, quote-unquote, with the explicit... Um, goal of getting them together and you also don't feel like they're you know explicitly growing to keep friction like it doesn't feel um, manufactured it's like this is cassie and this is cole and it's not like they're meant to be together it's like i don't know it's just really well done from each of their individual character points of view so whenever they do have moments where they come together um or they you know grow in intimacy or even when they don't, it feels earned. It doesn't feel like um, just some bullshit to keep them apart or just some circumstance to push them together. It feels very organic and very like a part of the story. Um And I right. think that I- that's really key when you're talking about really epic, slow burn kind of romances is um, at a certain point – like you were saying, you have to shit or get off the pot. Like, mm-hmm. and if you miss that time, if you miss the timing, um, then you're kind of fucked. Like, because it, because then everything starts to seem cheap, and everything yeah. before it seems cheap, and then everything after it seems cheap. Especially if it's like if the audience starts to get the feeling that it's just shit you're putting in their way, or it's just you know like not. Not real or something. But with Cassie and Cole, it feels like you have two individuals who um, are their own people who are coming into conflicts that feel real to the situations that they're in. And I don't know. I think there's something that's really kind of unique. Like, it reminds me almost of, like, Kevin and Nora from The Leftovers, right? Where Mm -hmm. they're in these extraordinary circumstances (laughs) And um, they're both their own people. And sometimes that means that they are together and they have a lot of intimacy. And sometimes that means that who they are essentially pulls them apart from each other. But then they make choices that, uh, spoiler alert. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, don't. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, because <laughs> no, we've told too many people to watch, and I don't think as many people have watched.
1: So okay, don't. okay. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to roll that I'm going I'm going to say but with Cassie and Cole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those choices they eventually start to make choices that lead them to a purpose together. And at first that's Ethan. They're, they they might not be totally united together, but they're u- united with Ethan trying to save him and then eventually that's well, you know, it is my belief. <laughs> <laughs> she stops the ending and Cole completes his mission and the universe is like, here, have a Cole.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll throw you a Cole. We'll throw you a Cole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it's also – I mean, not only is their conflict feels grounded, like as you pointed out, in their individual character development um, coming crashing together – Mm-hmm. That has to do with m- a much bigger picture than just whether or not they like each other, right? Like, oh, yeah. Um, but they also, and I guess this delves into like the second thing that season two does that I feel like should be like a writer's clinic, um, just like from a viewer's perspective, because it's something that t- television shows do a lot, um, and that's time jumps. Mm-hmm. And I think both the reason why, like, the slow burn conflict, we get that there's there are obstacles, but, like, that's what's making the journey even better, um, and the time jump creating some of that conflict, because it separated people, and, and they've had different experiences with different people, and so when they come back together, there's a puzzle for the audience to solve as to why, why are these characters different than the last time we saw them, but also – For the characters, they have to figure out that puzzle, is they constantly make time for characters to have conversations Mm -hmm. out loud where they're saying, you're different. What's up with that? (laughs) And like Cassie and Cole have that conversation. At the end of, um, the second episode, they have that argument in episode three. They acknowledge that things are awkward between them. Um, in the episode, was it seven when all of the monsters like are coming back? Mm-hmm. Um, they have that conversation again in Lullaby. Like they are constantly saying like out loud and, and a lot of the characters are right. Like Cole is commenting on like, well, what the hell is up with Deacon? Like this isn't like a TV show where. There's tension, and then the characters, like, glare at each other, and the music gets, like, really intense, and then they, like, flounce out the door, and then it smashes to commercial, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, they're at odds. No, they actually, like, talk like adults and talk about out loud, and they don't always come to, like, a resolution. Like, a lot of times they're still stuck in the same spot, but, like, we're being let inside their heads, Um and the differences between like the the changes that have happened over the time jump, even if they're not apparent to the audience, like for example with Cassie, We don't see what happens. Like, the first episode of this premiere, it's four days after the season one finale, and then we don't see her again until the end of the episode. And for her, it's been eight months. Mm -hmm. But the next episode, we get a flashback from her point of view, explaining what it was like for her. And then we as the audience have the information to, like, fill in the blanks. And we're not having to, like, headcanon to, like, figure out why she's different. Right. Um, And there's a lot of shows – I mean – if I can just compare all of this to a show that, like, I think a lot of us and a lot of people listening love, Battlestar Galactica, they did a big time jump with New Caprica, right? Uh-huh. Um, And a lot of, like, filling in the blank. And, like, the time jump, if I'm remembering right, the time jump stuff really worked. The Apollo, Starbuck, they actually did do, like, a freaking love quadrangle, right? And yes, that just got at, at the <laughs> end of the day. I ended up getting really frustrated with that exact, like, as you put it, shit or get off the pot. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know,
1: like, wasn't it like Apollo D and Sam and Kara?
0: Yeah, they they were all married to different people, yeah, but then they're and different. It was just like, very like what it, it, it became like a literal like soap opera, and it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because I kind of like I don't know, like it just felt like creating obstacles. Like you're you're creating spouses for people so that there will then be obstacles when the person who they that you have told me as a viewer had they've had feelings for mm-hmm. like reappears in their life yeah. so that you have a scene where the two of them are hugging and actually like staring at each other over those people's shoulders like oh my god please don't do that mm-hmm.
1: so and like, anyway and there's one of, there's one of the, it's one of those things where like well written sure that scene can work but like that's not that <laughs> right and it's very rare i think it seems that a lot of writers think that that's like something they can just like pull out to use and i'm like no 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 (laughs) like that kind of moment to really land has to be earned and you didn't earn it
0: (laughs) yeah so
2: like i don't think that in and of itself works as an entire like plot which part the like you were saying like i to me that doesn't it doesn't work as plot development Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. character development Like, just in and of itself saying, like, you know what, we don't know what to do next. Let's create Mm -hmm. love triangles. Like, it just doesn't, there's not enough, like, Mm -hmm. meat there. Which is not to say there should never be love triangles. It's just, it can't be the only thing that's going on. Right? Like, it can't be a love triangle for a
1: love triangle. Saying It needs to come because of where the characters are.
2: And it can't because be of, the only
0: thing the character has to do all season.
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> like, is Right. Um, right. I think that one thing this show doesn't do, and the reason that this stuff works, is because they never exploit the yeah, characters or the relationships. that's a really good point. Of, like, that's a really good yeah. way to say it.
0: And they do that, but they still lean into some really fun comedic moments where Cole and Deacon are clearly jealous and being competitive with one another and Cassie's kind of rolling her eyes at it. Like they they get some mileage out of it, but it comes off as just very human and right. the way like people would act, right? Like you Cuz come- people get jealous. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. That's just so, a human emotion. <laughs> I I don't know if I'm at all like articulating the difference of what they did, but usually if if a sh- like I feel like maybe I'm just like overly sensitive to, to it lately, but like if time ta- if a show's doing a time jump, I get nervous because a time mm. jump can both be exciting in that it changes things up and it's a puzzle to figure out, but it also means things can get really fucked up if they change the characters too much and we don't understand why.
1: And I think with time jumps, like you said, I think people it seems a lot of writers or TV shows use them as almost an easy way out as an easy reset. Mm -hmm. And that's not how it works. (laughs) Like you, if you're going to do a time jump, the responsibility is on you to connect those dots to have like, you know, like the character sheet or the word document that has like, why is this person doing this thing in this time? And how did they get there? Like, Because I want to know, like, in the dialogue, in the references, maybe in the flashbacks, like, why is this thing happening? Like, and that could be plot, that could be a new technology, it could be a new discovery, or it could be character development. But I want to know that you, writer's room, have thought (laughs) about why A to S has all the letters in between it.
0: You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so I don't know I I fe- I think I feel like I see a lot of um, and I think a lot of times it's fair like if you go on social media and you see people complaining like about a love triangle or about a time jump and I'm I have often had those frustrations as well. But if you want an example of a season of TV that executed all of it, I think perfectly and really made it challenging and that there were things to figure out and characters had changed and their points of view are coming into conflict and it created great drama and great scenes where people are arguing and there's tension and they disagree and you have two characters that you've been waiting for two seasons to get together and they just like nailed the execution of it and it was really, really interesting scenes to watch along the way where I feel like their conflict, we learned a lot about them as characters. It's like watch season two of 12 Monkeys mm-hmm. if you want to watch a slow burn and a time jump both executed like perfectly.
1: I can't actually think of another one, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I can
0: think of one, but I'm not even going to say it because it might be a spoiler. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. You can't say it. I know the one you're thinking of and it's an amazing time jump, but you can't say it. Okay. i got to say it. <laughs> so... To actually talk about the episode, well, not even that because we're gonna talk about Madeline Stowe. It opens up with Madeline Stowe's voice, who was Dr. Catherine Rayleigh in the film. But and what ap- a great opening, though! Oh I my god, it. it's so beautiful,
2: like so beautifully epic. written.
0: Yes, it, so is. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a fairy tale. No, but not no in a cheesy way. I
2: mean, just great it's just well, epic true.
0: scale
1: way. They're saying they're saying like we're busting this open. You know yes,
2: what I mean? yeah. It
0: sounds like a fairy tale. I mean, Lord yes. of the Rings is is drawing from, like, Norse mythology. It's, like, the way we tell these stories. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a fairy tale. Once upon the, a time. Right. Um, and visually, it's beautiful. Like, it's interesting because it's both taking footage from season one, but also taking some footage that we haven't seen yet um, from season two, weaving it all together. But what makes it now on rewatch just like um, I think amazing is on first watch you're like why is this voice familiar to me and Mm -hmm. then you figure out it's Madeline Stowe and you're like oh that's really cool like it's like an homage to the film but actually now that we know Madeline Stowe in the season finale of season two will play a primary it's almost like a primary pulling these images together because the primaries know the story right right They're Um, thinking for us. Yeah. Um, And so now that you know that it's the primary who is the one that tells Cole, death can be undone, love cannot. And it's her point of view that it's almost like we're allowed – it's kind of fun to think of it like, are we getting to see what's inside of primary's head? Like with all these – I'm sure that's not maybe Mm -hmm. what they intended at the time, but um, it's kind of fun to like watch it through that lens now. And of course it ends with the words that we will – Um, titles of episodes um, in the series in the last season and the Ouroboros, but one that that begins at the end and ends at the beginning, the first time we hear that is from this montage with Madeline Stowe's voiceover. So just a hell of a way to kick off a season. It really (laughs) is. Um, okay, so that takes us to Budapest 2016. We talked about holy shit, they're at the bridge. Um, everything just seems like more sophisticated and looks amazing in terms of filming locations, cinematography, everything. Um, the song that's playing, Time is on my side, um, Mm -hmm. by Kai Windig. This is how they wind that up too. Like you're just like,
1: as I think it's as the voiceover is ending they're like mm. winding it up and then the beat hits or drops mm-hmm. and you're like yes
0: it's awesome <laughs> it's so cool and like the, the the watches are spinning around as the music picks up yeah it's just really really cool it's also great because the words time is actually on their side yeah. <laughs> because it's, time needs them It's another drop in the
1: red forest
2: I absolutely cannot hear that song without associating it with uh, Denzel Washington's movie Fallen. I was aware uh-huh. of that one? No. Is <laughs> <laughs> that a big moment in that, movie, in, in that movie? Which it's huge. Yeah, it's it's huge. Um, in that story, it's referencing um, the uh-huh. demon and how long he's existed, and so versus humanity, time is on. Oh, easy. I
0: have. Is seen this the one where he's an angel?
2: No, that's a Christmas movie no. where he's an angel
0: with no, me. No, I, I know what you're talking
1: about because once you said the whole thing about this the demon, I was like – it, it, like The song like came to my head and I was like, yes. No, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Featured song time is on my side. Yes. I – oh my God. Now I'm getting like chill because I remember watching that probably too young. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie's so creepy, so creepy and it's yeah. so good. Um,
0: but it's just, I mean, that bridge and the song and all, but it's just, that's just like, that's the way you kick off a season of TV. It's awesome. Um, so then you have Olivia and Ramsey face to face again. Um, and since the last time that they were at Monkey Mansion together, and she thought that he was sending, she thought she was sending him to his death and they're hunting him down. It's like a really interesting um, he's like, Why are you trying to kill me? And she's like, Because you're supposed to be dead. And it's really interesting that like the 12 monkeys are obsessed with killing him to prove that the word of the witness is right. But they're having to take action to do that. It's just her, don't you think? Well, but I they're think all doing it her. like at her
2: behest, right? Because she's in charge. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, everyone <laughs> <to> me,
0: <laughs> but, is crazy. Yeah, but
2: <laughs> you don't yeah, want to no. go up against um, that bitch. But it is <laughs> like, interesting
0: that, like, her idea of saying, like, she's so shaken by the fact that it didn't happen the way it was supposed to, that she's then going to use her free will to make sure that it does. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's uh-huh. kind of like an, intri- like, not necessarily intuitive way to, like, deal with the problem. <laughs>
1: Well, it's the- like, it's like an omen was given. Maybe that puts things yeah. back on track. It's like track, an omen though. was given to you or like a prophecy was given to you instead of like waiting with faith that it will happen. You go and like do the thing.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Then that takes us to the moment that like, holy shit, things blow up and then the music like crescendos and we've got James Cole in a leather jacket walking through the fire on the bridge. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, Holy shit. What fucking show am I watching? This is like a total like like cinematic like he- action hero walking through the fire moment like oh my god like when my friends we have I have some friends in town that are watching the show now and what They will, like, text that moment, like, holy shit. And then my other friend will just be like, ah, the era of the James Cole jackets begins. Because he <laughs> now will have, like, amazing, like, jackets through, like, the rest of the, like, there's a different one, I think, for each season. But I don't know, like, what it, I have friends that text me about this moment all the time. And Megan, you texted me about that moment. Uh-huh. Beep, like, made a gif of it for me. Um, But, like, it's a, good it's, moment. It's a
2: great moment. I actually made that personal one. I remember those like it was not the captions, it was it about you. <laughs> I
0: love that moment. It's just like an awesome movie moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we've got like phenomenal Ramsey and Cole. I just kind of got like, oh, they're back together with their banter and it's funny and they're fucking with Olivia. Um, and they're like cracking jokes, even if it ends with them totally getting the better, like Olivia having the better of them and Cole coming up with the quote unquote plan to like jump off the bridge. Um, all of that is like the first two minutes like before we get to the credits, yeah. which is a lot like it's all like it's just um, just a great way to kick things off. Um, the kind of like fun, like um, the henchman that comes up to Olivia, who is killed on the rooftop at the be- at the end of the episode by Cassie Um is her real life husband? Um, oh, really? We, yeah, <laughs> David Richmond Pack is his name. He also was an orphan black. I think he was o- Olivier. Also, a <laughs> like
2: super creepy character. <laughs> there are a lot of super creepy characters he on Orphan Black. Got himself a tail. <laughs> there are a lot of um, super creepy characters. Yes, he. Uh, the whole thing is about like choosing your own evolution. So he had a. He got a tail. That's an interesting. choice. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Might I say it comes back to bite him <laughs> in the ass? <laughs> that. <laughs> like, that makes you giggle, beep.
0: <laughs> I mean, it does. But it, I actually, I listened to another podcast that I had never noticed, but now that I know that um, Allison Down was super pregnant when she fil- was filming this scene. And she's actually, I think, super pregnant for a lot of this season two. Um, and I yeah, like
2: when she's in the pool, that just, I know, like, but i I, I totally
0: like whoever did the like the costuming and the film angles. I never usually i I feel like I can be like, oh, you can tell they're like high like no clue that she was. but also just like so like she's like super pregnant on a bridge that's blowing up. but like at least she got to film the scene with her husband. It's kind of fun, like mm-hmm. that he um is in the scene. So that takes us to the conversation where Ramsey and Cole are underground and they're figuring out um, that he has a tracker. And there's some interesting kind of like checking in as to like where they are in their like their friendship and whether they've like truly reconciled. Um, Because it's interesting because Cole is basically saying that like every night when he goes to sleep, he doesn't know whether Ramsey is going to kill him in his sleep or not. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty tough, like, pretty tough conditions to be working side by side. Like, I kind of wonder if he really means that or not. Um, But there's an interesting moment where he says he's referring to army told monkeys, and he's like, uh, your friends and Ramsey's like, they were never my friends. And Cole says it doesn't make it much better. Um, so it's clear that like when they were joking around with Olivia and saying, no, we don't really have like, we're not unified in purpose. Um, they were being actually quite honest with her. They're not. Um, although I think it's interesting that at the end of that scene, Ramsey can tell that Cole's pretty torn up about not knowing what happened to Cassie and he's trying to reassure him to be like, you know what, I think she made it. Even though I don't know if Ramsey believes that or not, because he looks really shocked <laughs> I'm at the end of the episode, right before Cassie punches him out. Um, now, did you guys watch Downton? I did.
1: You I did. watched like the first two seasons or three seasons. Yeah.
0: Okay. Because I I know this character's name is Dr. Benjamin Kalman. It's but Mr. I'm just Bates. he's Mr. Bates. Okay. Good.
2: All right. Yeah, so he's Mr. Bates, Bates for sure. Um,
0: I thought it was. I wonder if they did this on purpose. Um be- Finally a non <laughs> character. <laughs> right. Finally somebody who's actually like the most like decent and best of men, even if he gets sent to jail.
2: And even in, in this goes, one he's not. So it's like totally the opposite. What? I'm like, I trust I right, not nice. not Mr. Bates and he's like kind of I'm gonna go ahead and kill him. I you think they did that
0: list. on purpose I, like I wonder if they actually did that on purpose, right? You take a guest star, because Downton was still airing at this time. I think. You take a guest star that the audience loves and associates with being, like, a really decent and good man, and you use that kind of against the audience and and actually, like, take that expectation and subvert it. I think it actually adds to the surprise that he's actually planning to turn Ramsey in. At least it did for me, because I look at him, I'm like, sure. oh, it's Mr. Bates. And, like, thank God he's – I'm used to seeing him, like, inside a jail. <laughs> Whatever, like I feel like he was like a he or Anna were like accused of murder like eighty thousand times in Downton, but um, (laughs) good to see him outside of jail for a change. Um, so I think it's interesting when they're cutting back and forth. You've got Cassie and Cole are still, even if Cassie is waking up four days after, they're still very much fighting their own now independent battles against trying to stop the plague even though they have no idea whether the other one's alive or if they're going to see each other again. Um, And it cuts from the messengers trying to use the machine to go back to then the lecture Mr. Bates is giving, um, which is – it's really interesting what he says. Mother Nature, we call her that for a reason. She gave us everything. We depend on her and she depends on us tampering with the symbiotic relationship may undo her and undo ourselves which is a really interesting um kind of foreshadowing or signpost to what the messengers are doing to time and what overall the goal of the army of the 12 monkeys is kind of going all the way to the end of the series Um,
1: like the primaries too the she depends on us is what i thought like you know Well, not, not so much another nature, but like that time depends on the primaries to think, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it kind of recalled that to me as well, like, and that they're kind of inextricably linked, like nature and time and evolution and all of this kind of stuff is, is linked together.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that he was doing his lecture. He concludes, is like, okay, well, now we'll return to bioengineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's some of the work that he did for Markridge, which kind of makes me wonder, like, what exactly, if he if he, if he knew Ramsey, was he involved at all? Like, I know it's Dr. Kirshner who did primarily, uh, you know, the stuff having to do with Olivia and with the, with the messengers. But if he also is in bioengineering, like, what was he working on Markridge about that he was aware of the army and Ramsey? Um, Cole and Mr. Bates have the really kind of interesting conversation where Bates is saying that Ramsey taught him to be a better man Um, and Cole says we owe something to the people who make us better, right? It's Cole who says that, right? Or is it Rams? I can't remember which one of them say that. But it's some really like beautiful writing about trying to be better men and owing to the people that that make you better. Although now it's all just like head dust because you know the whole time Bates is having that conversation he's planning on like betraying them. Mm-hmm. But it's also like a really interesting check-in moment as we were talking before with Cole about how he views Cassie – Um, what he, where he thinks he's at in trying to be a better man, um, finding a better way. Um, that, that is going to be basically like a a train wreck when he meets up with Cassie on the roof. And she's a very different Cassie with a very different moral compass than the one that I think he's been trying to work on in her absence, but kind of like in honor of her. Mm -hmm. Um, so that – and that ends What's also kind of like a kick in the teeth at the end is once Bates betrays them and Cole is face-to-face with him, he tells um, – Cole says, you didn't become any better. And Bates says, I wanted to. And Cole says, so did I. And then kills him. Um,
1: yeah. It's a pretty bittersweet moment, right?
0: hmm
1: um, But sometimes and- the world still forces your hand.
0: Our situations still force your hand. Right. Um, and I think it's also, you know, it's interesting because Cassie is going to basically end up ca- saying to Cole, like, you can't do what it takes. And it's clear that he still can, right? Like, when somebody is confirmed trying to kill Ramsey and him, even though he is kind of rueful about it in the moment about what that says about him as a person, he still is capable of doing it. Right. So what happens at the end of the episode with Jennifer, it's not like Cole has somehow become like, quote unquote, soft and is incapable of, like, using violence if his hand is forced. I think it's just like he's giving more thought to when is going to that extreme necessary.
2: Right. Um, But you have the issue again of not all characters having all information. Absolutely. Cassie doesn't know that. She just shows up and she's like, you're pointing a gun at me. What the hell? Uh, Yes.
0: I'm just like, I, I absolutely. But I just mean, it's an interesting moment because as much as Cole is trying to be a quote, unquote better man, when circumstances still put him in the position of being faced with somebody, he is still capable of pulling the trigger and killing them. Um, and it also is like Megan was saying, the world that they're in is unfortunately, no matter their best intentions, is always going to put them over and over again in these like horrible situations where they're being forced to make these choices. Um, I think that takes us to the scene with Cole and Ramsey. Um, you know, we talked before. The uh, Bates gives Ramsey the information about Jennifer on the bridge, which lets us know the information that Ramsey has the information, but that also that Ramsey wasn't privy to the entire kind of Olivia's master plan. It's interesting in Ramsey's character development that he at first withholds the information from Cole, and then when they're saying goodbye on the, frit, on, on the bridge, it's. It's like clear, like Ramsey is clearly like at war with himself as to whether he should tell Cole. Um, and Cole, that scene between them, it's like really quiet, but I think it's a really beautiful scene with Cole apologizing to Ramsey to be like, "Look, you know, the, he's sorry about his son, and he never wanted that for Ramsey." and that's kind of the you can see like in the performance that Ramsey is like like he's like fidgeting right like you can mm-hmm. tell that like he's struggling with a decision and finally he just as Cole's walking away he just says it's new york um and that's a moment where Ramsey is choosing to tell he's choosing the world over his son yeah um i don't think he gets enough credit for that
1: um and that's probably because it is kind of quiet right it's a very yeah. not subtle but like it uh, again it's the thing about the story is not Ramsey's story entirely mm-hmm. and so uh we don't get to see we're not embedded in his point of view really about this
0: right um, um i i mean it it is a really like quiet scene i love that it's you know it's not like cole and Ramsey and their relationship to be overly sentimental about it. And so it quickly moves to like joking around. Um, where Ramsey's basically like, well, I can't have you dying on my watch. And Cole's like, uh, like when you stabbed me <laughs> in 1987. And it like quickly moves to humor, which feels very much like them, even though there is something that is like a, mo- like a monumental shift has happened between them that Ramsey is choosing now. To be by Cole's side and fight against the plague, even if it means that his son will be erased and he has Cole's back again. And it's this huge, like, shift that, like, they're finally truly on the same page and they haven't been so since mid-season one. But it's still very much, like, in character in that mm. they're joking around. And it's like the Ramsey and Cole that we first met in the beginning of season one with, like, their banter back and forth. Um, So that takes us to Cassie in 2043. Um, And she wakes up after four days. Um, We see sort of her dream, um, which has a lot of really interesting um, not only lets us know sort of what Cassie's thinking about, but just has some really interesting foreshadowing because she is remembering the morning she woke up with Cole, she's remembering the moment with Ramsey. You have the Red Force visions, you have the witness, the vision of the witness. I, is it the witness in the facility? I don't remember. It's, it's like, really interesting, like, it's not only a summary of, like, her experiences so far, but there's some really interesting foreshadowing in those images for, like, the House of Cedar and Pine and The Witness and, like, what's going to be the story for Cassie, like, throughout season two. Um, when Cassie fills Jones in, um, Jones makes sort of the very um, – accurate observation that when it comes to Ramsey, Mr. Cole's judgment has always been unreliable. Um, Jones has that interesting quote. She asks Cassie if it was difficult to shoot Ramsey, and Cassie says, actually, it wasn't. And Jones says, grieving over who we were only gets in the way of who we need to become. I love that line. Mm
1: -hmm. Talk about like a sub-thesis for the show, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it also ties together with like the voiceover that's going to come from Cassie about Mm -hmm. not every caterpillar becomes a butterfly um
1: it's also so very jones right mm-hmm. especially at that moment when she's still very pragmatic and very um driven by this hard shell of grief and kind of denial in a way like she doesn't really want to acknowledge that she's acting out of so much grief um and she's just like you know who we are is the past like all that matters is what we need to become but to jones what you need to become is kind of a hardened person who can make the tough calls and do the tough things. Because if you think about later, like how she sends half of that person back and she's laughing and I'm just like, damn, mm. Katerina. It's cold. <laughs> oh my god.
0: <laughs> who's next? Who's next? <laughs> it is a crazy moment, right? Like, she just freaking tears somebody apart and then laughs and, and says, who's And she's like, you think shooting someone is bad? <laughs> Oh man. She is like that is a Jones that is zero fucks to give. Zero fucks.
1: <laughs> like And that's kind of what she's coaching with Cassie, right? She's just like, "Girl,
2: yeah. You know, yeah. You now, need to buck up." Well, in that moment, see, I feel like this is a bigger thing though because in that moment Jones mm-hmm. has lost her purpose. When she thinks nothing's working, she thinks that Cole's gone, she thinks that you know, that they're not going to be able to use the machine anymore. They've been overtaken. She has no purpose yeah. and she goes mm-hmm. off the rails, which is exactly the reason, you know, that when you look a Lullaby, that time needed her mm-hmm. to lose mm-hmm. Hannah to begin with. She had to get to that point. Right. Yeah, I know. That's a good point.
0: Um, they do some interesting, um, it is letting us know information that we need, but it's also twisting it in a way that's going to come in a way that we don't expect so when jones pulls out the injections and explains that because of these injections even if there's a change in time she will be able to know the difference because time will move around her she she's doing it because she thinks it's something that the messengers will do that will cause time to shift but really, it's in the next episode, it's going to be something that Cassie and Cole and Jennifer do when they burn the virus, um, that, that those injections will allow her to perceive the, the time shift we're going to get in the next episode. So it's interesting how they're like giving us that information, but it turns out in a way that neither the audience nor Jones are expecting um, to be significant. Then we have Deacon walks in and meets Cassie with hell it well hello bright eyes and i love the way that this the that like todd stashwick plays this because he's still very much like deacon with the swagger but you can see the way he keeps looking at her because for him he's seeing somebody that was like the famous doctor that he watched from the cdc on tv when he was a kid and so he like keeps looking back at her a little bit like i can't believe this is really her you know mm-hmm. um it's also probably the best thing he's seen in a minute
2: <laughs> I, mean, I mean if we're being Cassie's honest <laughs> yeah there's it doesn't yeah we never saw a woman in the west side <laughs> we really so. <laughs> oh i'm not saying she wasn't i'm Ma- just yeah. saying she's max not there is su- so. max is
0: super hot but i think cassie has showered more recently right yeah. like <laughs> but yeah um So then we go to, we see Mantis. Um, It's kind of crazy when you stop now on rewatch, seeing Cassie, seeing all of them, but particularly Cassie in the room with Mantis, with all of these messengers. Charlie's there, even though we can't see him, like by the face, like recognize him by the face. All of the people that she is going to be hunting down and trying to stop all during season two. Like even living in 1958 for like a year trying to find Charlie like at that factory. They're all in the room together right in this moment.
1: It's a great – it's just really great device or really great writing. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, just kind of a commentary on the nature of things being hidden sometimes
0: and we can't see what we don't know. Yep. But yeah, reveals it. Yeah. I mean Cassie's going to see Mantis. Is it true the next time she sees Mantis, Mantis is going to have a gun to Cole's head? right in like three episodes the next time they come face to face but she sees her face i think that's the only one that she actually like sees her face right um so you have the moment you know we talked about with jones being like who's next and deacon's reaction to the guy being like <laughs> of laughing,
1: laughing. Uh, and he's, he's like
2: just... oh shit <laughs> so good um he's like but... respect jones respect <laughs> i'm surprised they don't have Deacon <laughs> Which would have been interesting, yeah. Totally, as a device, like, damn, grandma, like I just could see him. Um the 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 main messenger dude,
0: he makes fun of Jones for having a quote simplistic view of time travel, and he thinks it means what what is meant to be shall be. But it is true that, like, none of them really are understanding, like, the big picture of what the time travel, like, dilemma or the, like, problems that's being wrought. Do you guys think in the moment that he is threatening Cassie's life, I guess we'll never know, really, what Jones was going to do. Do you think she was going to let him kill Cassie?
1: I wouldn't put it past her,
0: you know. Yeah.
1: She's definitely thinking about it. I think she's thinking about it. And I think she's waiting. You know what I mean? Like, she's kind of seeing, like how the situation will will go mm-hmm. um it's i
0: don't
2: know she might be bluffing though she might just be like i want you to think i don't yeah. care well, she, she
0: knows they need her he said that so yeah but i mean and it's i think it's also interesting in that scene deacon is like not okay with cassie being killed already yeah um, and trying to intervene um and and getting threatened over it um that's interesting. Um, when Cassie and Deacon walk to – and he locks her up. Can I just say that, like, Cassie is – if I had been shot and then <laughs> thrust into 2043, woke up four days later in the post-apocalypse, there's these fucking blue guys that are, like, trying to use the time <laughs> blue machine. Blue man group. Or get, Right? I mean – it is insane. She still is like tenacious in trying to already, like already her wills, like she is hitting the ground running. Like she's trying to convince Deacon, like she's diagnosing him, she's trying to cut a deal. And it's not, it's not to get herself back to 2015. It's not to like get herself out of the situation or to save herself. She's trying to convince Deacon, like, the world is gonna end and we have to fucking stop these people. Yeah. And She's just so resilient, like, and brave, like, considering the, like, what the fuck moment, like, all of this must be for her, that she's still in that moment is, like, thinking about the mission.
2: Well, she's Deacon's Cole. You know what I mean? Mm. Cole had to come to 2013, then 15 to convince her all this was true, and now she's having to come back the other way. I mean, right? she's the time yeah. traveler.
0: Oh, my God. That's so great, Beep. Yeah. And and Deacon doesn't really know, like, what the hell is going on, Right. Yeah. No, he has no
2: idea. He just knows that, like, I mean, he knows that's a time machine or whatever, but he he doesn't have any clue of the until he does. That <laughs> he like he didn't
0: even really know it was a time machine, right? Like until the season finale, and he's right. Like I don't even know if he really knew what they were up to in there. I'm just having a moment where I'm thinking about Deacon having to do this all again. <laughs>
1: Right, like from the season
0: four finale. Yeah. yeah, I always get fuzzy on like when exactly he would have to. Oh, yeah, me yeah. Too.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is fun to think regardless. about. <laughs> now, it's the entire thing. It's the absolutely from the moment we. Yeah, ever because doesn't it. Jennifer kind of come to him like before all this starts? Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but remember what Todd said. Like, none of this completely holds water because at this point in time, he would have to be protecting everybody from a giant dead time traveling city because titan's just chilling Yeah, oh it breaks your brain
0: um i love like they do i I mean i cannot like i will say that when i watched this on the first time and i thought that like season two was opening and cassie and deacon were dating i was like wait what (laughs) but they do a great job like cassie being so fierce and like tenacious and and deacon just basically be like oh you're adorable <laughs> it's just like oh honey you are out of your depth <laughs> <What did> you <laughs> right say, now like
1: harm none and did 30 years ago
0: <laughs> well yeah i mean then we get to do yeah no harm. do no harm then deacon i mean deacon in this episode shows that no matter what we thought about him in season one he is a man that is Eminently like practical. Yeah, like he considers what Cassie says. He goes back and works with her. When Whitley shows up, he gives Whitley a gun and is like, "Well, now we're on the same side because we have a common enemy." I love that line. They're like, "Put a bullet in his head." And oh, he's like, Put and a pats gun him on the face. <laughs> it's so it's so great. But I love so like if we could just when Deacon comes back to Cassie, it is like. Cass- it's like Cassie's first lesson in the Deacon Guide to Surviving the Post Apocalypse, <laughs> and he hands her his—he hands her the knife, Deacon's knife—and gives her the lesson on how you kill someone quickly and silently by putting the blade in the side of their neck. And it's interesting because even though at the beginning of the episode, Cassie told um, told Jones that it was easy to kill Ramsey despite being a doctor. You can tell from both her reaction when he first proposes it and when she actually does it that, like, sticking a knife in someone's neck is a little bit different than, like, standing a distance from them and shooting them. You know?
2: Mm -hmm. Knives are extremely intimate. It's also taking a instrument –
0: like, knives are intimate, but also for a doctor, like – It's taking an instrument, like maybe not a knife per se, but like a scalpel and like something that you previously used as a tool, you're now using it as like a weapon and to actually do harm. Um, But yeah, he's got that quote, uh, you know, I'm a doctor, do no harm died 30 years ago. And I love the welcome to the future, Dr. Raley, and he just hands her a gun and they walk off like it's it's such a great shorthand for why they are going to have the dynamic that they're going to have, but also at the end when they end up um, blowing up the machine and taking out half of the messengers with them, the look on Cassie's face when Joan says it's going to take months, even a year to repair the machine is just like devastating. Yeah,
1: like heartbroken. Like she's stuck there. It's just like – She's stuck there and Cole can't get to – there even if you know you know what i mean where it's like it would be magical thinking to think that he could come forward anyway but like still
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know what i mean like there's no possibility it's just right.
0: it is I mean, what it she, is it is what it is i mean she's stuck there and it's miserable and you know cole and Ramsey are obviously not leading an easy life being on the run from the army of 12 monkeys and like living underground but it's still not it's still not the existent. like they clearly had time to like go shopping <laughs>
1: It's still not being stuck with like five people in a bunker for eight months. In the post-apocalypse and dealing with
0: scabs and having to like – right. I mean we will hear at the end – towards the end of the season when when Cassie and Deacon have the conversation about that one night that it was a night that like, you know, they thought they were going to die. I mean the shit that goes down from that moment when the machine is busted to when we see her at the end of this episode on the rooftop is just – Jesus, she went through a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. So
1: I do want um, to ask one thing. Yeah. So when the guy from Spearhead with the like time travel map who is helping the messengers, is that the first time we see a sort of like word of the witnesses kind of diagram? You know, with like all the circles and the intersections and stuff. Is he like has it? We and he's trying to like it? The guy from Spearhead who's helping uh-huh. the messengers. Mm hmm. He has, like, a piece of paper that has, like, a sphere on it with, like, lots of intersecting points. And I was wondering if that's the first time that we've kind of, like, seen a word of the witness type diagram. Because we
0: haven't seen the word of the witness yet, right? No. I, we don't see it until um the Jennifer and Cassie road trip episode, I don't think. Right.
1: Yeah. He has, like, a piece of paper. It's, like, instructions to where he's going to send the messengers.
0: I oh, – I, we should go back and le- – that'll be interesting to go back and look. That's a good catch. It must be, right?
1: I, Yeah. I would think it would be copied. Yeah. What, do you think it would be copied from the word of the witness?
0: Yeah. I did not notice that. That's such a good call.
1: Because that's how they would know, right? Like, that's the plot device so that they would know where to send the messengers. Where the
0: primaries are. Primaries, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so that takes us to Jennifer in New York in 2016. Um. It's like a really great – I was thinking as I was watching this, Jennifer starts off every single season alone, right? Mm-hmm. So she starts off season one in the institution. She starts off this season alone in New York in 2016. She starts off season three alone in the World War One trench. And she starts off season four. She's in Prague, right, where she's doing her alias um, mm-hmm. somewhere in Eastern Europe. I mean, she ends the show alone, basically. Except, mm-hmm. I mean,
1: she's not really alone because she's greeting Cole, but – You know, she's not, like, with anybody.
0: Yeah, so she's walking down the street. She's muttering 607, which
2: we will – yeah And Titan. um, Yeah, 60 – it's Titan. 607
0: is the Emerson Hotel, right? It's Emerson Hotel room. It's how many times Ethan tried to save Eliza. It's
1: 13, not 12.
0: Yeah, but she's – Oh, yeah, yeah. And then she she says Titan. "Titan." Yeah. So she's muttering a lot of things that are actually, like, foreshadowing for, like, what we're going to get in season two. Um, The song that's playing is super fun. I looked it up. It's called White Rabbit. It's originally a Jefferson Airplane song, but this is a cover by – Emiliana Torini. It's from the Sucker Punch soundtrack. This song is like all about Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. And really <laughs> Do you know this? Do you know I, I do. didn't know
1: my parents made us I mean we only could listen to Oldies growing up, so
0: yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's interesting because I, I just wanna read like a couple the opening lyric the beginning of the lyrics. So I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I think they're particularly interesting, not only for the Alice in Wonderland, but also for Jennifer. Um One pill makes you larger, one pill makes you small, and the ones that mother gives you don't do anything at all. Go ask Alice when she's 10 feet tall and if you go chasing rabbits and you know you're going to fall. And then it goes on to talking about the caterpillar and men on a chessboard and just a lot of like Alice in Wonderland imagery. Um, And I thought it was really interesting, like two reasons. Like when we first introduced – we were first introduced to Jennifer, right? We've got the pills in her hand and this kind of constant – struggle jennifer has with pills i mean i think it's interesting like that it references her mother but like forced to take pills to change the way her mind works when the way her mind works is actually like a gift Mm -hmm. um but also i think i have to like i feel like i struggle like articulating a little bit but i think there's like a lot of really like in this season finale when the the primary that madeline stowe plays when she tells cole to drink the tea to make a tea out of the red leaves that he finds out in the woods she says drink me like something out of alice in wonderland where you know the the placard in front of that alice finds says drink me or eat me um and kind of the mind like adventures of the mind that, like, mm-hmm. Alice goes on. It's, like, interesting thinking about kind of, like, the actual, m- like, memory rabbit holes of time travel that Cole will go down. Um, but that Jennifer in some ways does with her mind as well. Like, time traveling and Jennifer's time traveling, like, in her mind through memories that aren't even hers. But she will drink the tea and do the same. So there's just a lot – um like I want to keep it in mind I'd love to hear from more people because I think there's like a lot to unpack about parallels or like things it's alluding to like from Alice in Wonderland but it's interesting that like the season premiere opens with a song that's in Alice in Wonderland like the whole thing is referencing Alice in Wonderland and the season finale has the primary saying like drink me um, and is like quoting the book um, and saying that I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about that
1: well I think it's kind of like inherently evokes it like what you're saying with um just that you have to have a tea that's red um, and you drink it, and it puts you into an altered state, like an altered dimension. And yeah, I think that someone maybe who's more knowledgeable about the books than I am could probably break it down as far as like Olivia, Cassie, Jennifer, you know, what's the white rabbit, who's the queen.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Who's
1: the, the Red Queen, right?
0: Yeah, there's um, the Red Queen. Yep. And then there's
1: also the Red Queen hypothesis. With the evolutionary hypothesis, which proposes that organisms must constantly adapt, evolve, and proliferate, not merely to gain reproductive advantage, but also simply to survive while pitted against an ever-evolving environment. Mm. So um, I always think about that when I think about like um, more kind of technologically-based Alice in Wonderland allegories. Mm -hmm. but that one's actually through the looking glass it's not Alice in Wonderland so yeah Yeah, but it's kind of that whole thing of like you take a substance and then you're in an altered dimension and um there's a journey involved
0: (laughs) I don't know Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm like where's Erin she might know more (laughs) I know I know we keep missing like this came up with remembrance of things past and you know that you know, the only way that we can't – like we as like human beings in our current reality can quote-unquote time travel is like through memory um, yeah. and how sometimes sensory experiences, eating something, drinking something, smelling something can make our minds travel in that way. And the show mm-hmm. is going to actually explore that at the end of this season. But also – I mean, just between like the words of the song with the pills um, and what we're going to find out about Jennifer and her mother this season, it's just like rife with all kinds of like fun little like clues in it. Um, well,
1: I think it's the kind of I it, it keeps the idea going that like, this is not going to be all linear. It's not going to be even all perfect cycles and circles that there's like a depth to it and a weird like a fundamental weirdness to it. And I mean that in a real like kind of mystical sense of the word where things that make sense, they're odd. They maybe go against the grain of like what you think what you believe. And Jennifer's kind of a conduit for understanding all of that, right? And for like translating the like very fundamental weirdness and I don't know, like otherness of the universe that we can't really grasp as humans, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, not to get too like woo woo, <laughs> but like, but like Jennifer's mind does grasp that inherently, but it takes, um, cole or cassie or someone else it takes them having to drink the tea to even begin to experience what she experiences and even that's kind of like a controlled environment by like whoever the witness is
0: right i mean it's we like we should definitely like i want to like think about it because it's like can you even say that like jennifer and having to like, exist in her mind and all that is in there must feel like an alice in wonderland right like it's Mm -hmm. crazy the things that she like has other like access to that have happened you know like ranging over like a millennia and it's all going on in her head Mm -hmm. um this just it's really like it's interesting to think about um then we've got the like freaking hilarious crazy but also sad uh speed dating (laughs) i have a boat (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I think like, it's both really – it's really, really funny and obviously like Emily Hampshire doing her thing. It's also incredibly sad that Jennifer is so desperate that she doesn't want to do this thing that she will walk up to a stranger and hand them a gun and ask them to shoot her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Beep, did you have any like Jennifer observations in the scene?
2: I just like that she repeats <laughs>
0: right sometimes she's saying things that make sense like 607 and titan and sometimes you're like i lo- what does she say like i love like potpourri russian roulette <laughs> like it's just like what <laughs> <laughs>
2: invest in like
0: this. <laughs> um so that takes us to chinatown um cole tells Ramsey, you know he'll do whatever it takes but it's clear i, I mean some of it is um He doesn't end up actually doing what it has to take. But honestly, Cole was – nobody would know this until it actually happened. But Cole's right. He didn't need to kill Jennifer in order to stop her, right? She was capable of making the choice herself. Um, I looked it up and, I mean, of course, of course. But 2016 actually was an actual year of the monkey um, in the Chinese Zodiac calendar. Which, if you just want to, like, go think about this, I, I don't know enough about, but the, when you look up the Chinese Zodiac calendar, it is a cycle of 12 years, um, with every 12 years a different animal assigned to every year, and then the cycle begins again every 12 years. Um, so when we get to the rooftop scene with Cole and Jennifer, I find it so unbelievably heartbreaking that Jennifer she's not, I mean, I don't, I mean, I think she's relieved to see Cole, but the what she expresses is the fact that Cole is there, unlike the man at the speed dating place, Cole is there pointing a gun at her. And the fact that she thinks that he's willing to shoot her is why she says her faith in humanity is restored. And it's so unbelievably like fucked up and sad that she thinks that She has such little, like, free will or ability to make a choice, but so doesn't want to do this horrible thing that she feels relief that somebody is there to kill her. I I just, like, it's just really, really fucking sad.
2: I think it goes back to what you were just saying, though, about what's going on in Jennifer's head. She's Mm -hmm. so fucking exhausted so someone she's had someone there who's supposedly supporting her supposedly giving her what she wants you know with the connection and relationships and olivia and they're just telling her what to do i mean that's yeah. fucking easy it sucks you might not have to want to do it but like that's how to make life easier right there whenever you've got that much going on in your head that yeah. much noise yeah oh it's just like heartbreaking though
0: um when uh, olivia's henchman comes up to the roof he gives cole actually an important piece of information that when he changed when he decided to save ramsey that that changed fate and i think that that's an important piece of information that cole holds on to that then informs his understanding of what unfolds next That when they decide not to kill Jennifer, and she doesn't drop the virus, and they burn it, that and then time shifts, that he interprets that the way he does at the end of the next episode where he says, you know, killing somebody isn't what changed anything, saving someone is.
1: Oh, I love that. You know, I I just love – it's so refreshing to hear that from like a post-apocalypse show, right? Like, actually – doing the empathic or empathetic human thing which is connecting and being vulnerable and that is actually what changed changed jesus (laughs) (laughs) it's a shakespearean verse here (laughs) but you know that's what changed things um and i just I remember when I first heard that, kind of, like, sitting back and being like, oh, my God, like, we're going to have a show that is going to challenge that, like, grim, dark, humans are the worst, we're all fucked kind of ethos or, you know, thesis. And instead, is like, you know what, how we change things is reaching out and, you know, kind of fundamentally accepting the danger that someone won't change their mind. But, yeah, this, I mean, this I got- way
0: is better. You know? I got – I I mean we'll we're gonna talk about that the next pod that scene right. I got chills when Cole said that in at the end of of two oh two um and it is because it is different like the theme that you usually hear in a post apocalyptic show is what Cassie is saying mm-hmm. it's which I absolutely understand why she's saying it but it is the you don't have what it takes to make the tough calls.
1: And, and sometimes, t- let's be fair, that's true. Yeah. Like, if you're in a post-apocalypse survival situation, sometimes it's, you know, whatever you can do to keep going and we can debate the moral morals of that forever. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, I understand that. Mm-hmm. But Cass, or Cole was able to see that Jennifer Jennifer wasn't, like, hardened in her ways. And he knew Jennifer well enough to be like, if I could reach her – Mm-hmm. this could be different
0: right and you and he could see i mean so it's another like as we were talking about in the season one finale with cole has that conversation with Ramsey that cassie's not privy to mm-hmm. here he has the conversation with jennifer where it's clear she she wants him to shoot her because she doesn't want to drop the vial mm-hmm. she's not there yet that she feels like she can make that choice on her own but cole sees that there's room there's room there because she doesn't want to do it, right. which is, a, and then before Cassie arrives on the roof and Cole, I think Cole thinks he's about to die. Um, and so, because he's about to get shot, he turns to Jennifer and he's still trying to get through to her to say, this is, this is your choice because he still thinks there's a chance that he can reach her.
2: Mm-hmm. That's this. I think what Cole realizes that Jennifer is not his enemy. Jennifer is Jennifer's yeah. enemy. Aww,
0: yeah. That's a really great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the most empowering thing he can do is by – it's, like, both scary as hell for her, but also is telling her that she has a choice. Mm
1: -hmm. And that Um, he's going to be there on the other
0: side of that choice. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting because he never gives her, like, you know, the way that they have this kind of circle of mentorship (laughs) in that he takes the (laughs) advice that old Jennifer tells him and passes it along to young Jennifer. But he never tells her – He's always telling her, you have to find your purpose, you have to make
2: your choice, but he's never giving her an answer, Um, which is like a... And then she turns around and says, the right ending is the one you choose. So they give each other that freedom. Yeah.
0: Um, So that is what Cassie walks up into. Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> Before we get into, I know it's so fucking good Talk about immediate rest, right? <laughs> hey, it's so fucking good, like the way they stage it, where you've got Ramsey turning around and looking shocked, and somebody punches the hell out of him. I was not thinking that was Cassie, right? Like I wasn't right. thinking that it was Cassie that just knocked the hell out of Ramsey, but that's fucking Cassie that knocks Ramsey out cold in the alley, right? Yeah. The fact that they have been separated since the season finale, it's going along all – we have no reason to think that they're going to come face-to-face at the end of this episode,
2: right? In fact, kept we're us- told
1: that time travel isn't possible anymore, right?
2: Or that, like, something like – like right? Uh, well, we're told how long right. it's going to take to fix the machine, so it's like we assume mm-hmm. that's Right, that like that I'm thinking we're going to see moment. Cassie, like, in the next episode.
0: And then – some and then somebody shoots three people like like right like with perfect marksmanship still don't think it's Cassie <laughs> and then she's fucking on the roof and they have this amazing like Cassie Cole and you can see that they're like what the fuck but there's like zero time for them to like at all stop for a second that like the other person that they were thinking about for like the last eight months to a year is now in front of them it is the most phenomenal way to like crash these two people back together it's so great it's so dramatic right it's like on a rooftop in front of probably superimposed in the background New York City Um, (laughs) it's so it's such a like The whole way it goes down and the way it ends with them, almost like the movie, kind of like the poster for the season, but instead of the hands touching in the different times, it's the two of them facing off on the rooftop. It's such a dramatic what the fuck moment. It's so great. Um, But I thought we could just kind of break down their different points of view. Um, Like, so... Cole's up there. He he has been, like, coming to value human life. He's, like, been living in our world, um, kind of maybe not fully around to, like, you know, the Cassie that was in the pilot, but certainly, like, not – jumping at taking human life as like, you know, that's a last resort and not the first option. Um, He he personally knows Jennifer. He spent more time interacting with Jennifer than Cassie has and has like this kind of weird, hard to articulate connection with her. He knows that she doesn't want to do it in that moment. He just got the information from Olivia's henchman that what changed fate in the past was saving someone, not killing someone. That's Cole's point of view. Cassie storms up to the roof, and the person who taught her first how to shoot a gun, and is the one who pulled the trigger on Leland Goines and on Henri... um is there on the rooftop and the last experience she had with him was that when they were in a standoff he refused to take out Ramsey, and now he's fucking doing it again when she has the information from the future that Jennifer Goins actually did drop the fucking virus like mm-hmm. as far as the information that they have. And he's, again, standing between her and a person who is complicit and working with the Army of the Twelve Monkeys, and seven billion lives are on the line. And then he turns his gun on her instead of backing down. I mean, what a betrayal, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. really, dude? Like, fucking really? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, like, on the other hand... Cole knows Jennifer and the person who taught him to be a better man is the one threatening to kill her. It's such a phenomenal conflict. It's so good. Um, Yeah. (laughs) What a way to come crashing back together after stewing in everything that had happened or idealizing another person after everything that had happened and you come crashing back together.
1: And it really Um, sets up their conflict for like the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, they do find points of being united for sure. But like, I mean, this is kind of in a way, when we get to the season four finale, what a lot of these fundamental questions are, right? Like, choice or humanity, um, things like that. And I feel like it just sets it up. It just sets it up so well in such a short amount of time and in such a way that kicks off a season premiere, which is just like... We're gonna let you end on this, like, visual of our two, like, romantic character leads pointing a gun at each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) And being like, choose. You know what I mean? I know. I don't know what it says about me, but I was like, never more excited about them.
2: For
1: sure.
0: (laughs) I don't know what that says about me as a person. It says that
1: you have a pulse.
0: (laughs) Well, I was just like, oh, this is going to get exciting. And I love – I love like well, – I love the final lines because when Cassie's like, don't make me do this mm-hmm. and Cole is like, you have a choice, it ties in so much to all of that like thematic work they've right. been doing about free will and choice and when are you forced to do something and when are you not – But I also love the looks on their faces because Cole's like, really? And Cassie's like, yeah, fucking really. (laughs) He's like, I created a monster.
1: Oh, my God. Which, I mean, is his whole shtick for, like, season two and three and four, right? Like, oh, no, I created a monster. And Cassie's like,
0: oh, my God, shut up. (laughs) Well, it's also – I mean, you're right that they are going to have this same – like, I don't know if you want to say it like like philosophical or a conflict of principles because they're going to be at odds about whether the choice should be to take a life or to – do something else, not only about Jennifer, but at the end of season two, when the choice is to go to Titan or to prevent mm-hmm. the paradox. In season four, when the choice is to go find Jennifer and try and figure out the answer to the riddle or to go and try and kill Olivia. Or Ethan, right? To like
1: try and like reason with Ethan, like well, that's the ti- reasons with Cole. It's interesting because no, like, that's the Cole circumstance. with Jennifer.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's the circumstance where it flips, right? Right. Cole thinks the answer is we just have to kill him. Right, right. And, oh, that's and, what makes it so good. Yeah, and Cassie's the one that's like, no, there's a more, like, maybe we can save him and we can turn him, and it's flipping, it's like- It's flipping it's, this on
2: its head. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, here here's an interesting <laughs> thing to think about. Oh, God, it's a beat bomb. <laughs> Except in the case of Ethan, where it then becomes his one, Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, sorry, sorry, Aaron Stanford, Cole- is never respective or respectful Sorry. God, okay, I'm so see. fucking tired. Cole is never respectful of Cassie's one. Let me think about that. So like Aaron, Aaron, Henri, Ethan. Oh my god. Nathan. He's always willing to choose. Right. Even at he's the, like, the end he's like don't choose do me do honey still. still
0: don't don't pick even if the one don't pick me,
2: don't pick me.
0: yeah he's, he's like i'm a no good
2: but see i mean that's that's a hard place to be because he's like yes let's save everyone is what he's saying now but with her experience she's like oh unless it's someone i want to save yeah and then, then it it's always her sacrifice
1: because i mean that's a lot of cassie's story yep. is that a lot now, of this sacrifice can fall falls to her
0: right so here's the one thing um in oma it the one wrinkle in a lot of these one versus the many dilemmas in this in both the circumstance with Ramsey and the circumstance with Jennifer, the neither of them have to die in order to achieve the result of saving seven billion. So let me ask a question. If Cassie had killed Ramsey in the moment at the end of the season one finale, would that actually have saved seven billion people? No, I don't see that. And now, actually, none of them could possibly know this. But if they had killed Jennifer in that moment, that would have been fucking disastrous, right? Mm -hmm. They need Jennifer. So (laughs) I'm not saying Cassie's not omniscient. Cassie doesn't know this. But like, the actual, the actual, like, why did she want Cole to kill Ramsey in that moment? Just because he had helped, because she wrongly believes he's the witness? I mean, she's wrong. So it's it's like it's it's a dilemma of one versus seven billion, but it's based on like a false premise.
2: Um, and here it's also it's rarely ever actually based on seven billion. People tend to just throw their hat in that ring when it makes them look more altruistic. It's always about their one. It's to always cover about up their, their one. one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sometimes their one is aligned with the seven billion, like Jones, and sometimes it's not, like Ramsey. Um, but at the end of the day, I think for all the characters, except for Cole at the end and Cassie at the end, when she stops the countdown, um, it is it becomes it becomes about the other people and choosing against your one. But for everyone else, it ultimately is It's coming down to their one. And then it's just, you know, they use the seven billion if that's on their side. Or Ramsey uses the other people who would be erased, um, even if it's less people, along with his son. It's like you're marshalling your um, additional evidence, but that's not really, like, at the end of the day, like, what's motivating you. Yeah, But, I I mean... I I do think that like both the circumstance with Ramsey and it appears based on the information that Cassie has from Jones with their materials that it that it sounds like it was Jennifer who dropped the virus and she thinks that's what's going to happen. And like so I get why she's saying that but like to be like but what we know is it actually would have been catastrophic. Um, But that of course that's not anything the characters could know. But Yeah.
2: Yeah, we don't know. We don't know that not. yet either. No, no. no.
0: Yeah, um, but it is like this. What a seminal moment, right? They could have killed Jennifer Goins, and what would any of the story like? They never <laughs> <been> so out. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> Hard. Pass they would have lost that. beep
0: as a fan, and they also would not have been able to save the world.
2: <laughs> yep. There you go. Those are two like world-ending matters.
0: <laughs> Did you guys have anything else about this
1: episode? Just that I think it does a really good job. And I think 113 and 201 in conjunction is, it's really interesting to view them that way because they are kind of different in style in cinematography. And, but at the same time, they flow really well. Um, as like you're stopping one storyline not stopping a storyline but like you're finishing something and then you're picking up something new and it feels like the first page right like the first Mm -hmm. chapter and you're like yeah like my my faves are back and the conflict is back and like i want to find find out where it goes it's really exciting
0: Right. And then the two of them are, like, you know, facing each other with a gun. I'm like, oh, man.
1: And you're, like, struggling not to turn to, like, the
0: end of the book because you're like, okay, I know are going to get together, but I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it for myself. So no, gonna, y- like- I also I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be one of those that's, like, an actual problem for me and let's hope it turns out better than, like, Starbuck and Apollo. <laughs> oh,
1: God. Apollo, Talk about, like – Jesus Christ. Talk about, like <sighs> – yeah, I'm wagging my finger right now, being like, "It is an insult to me whenever I'm like, whenever I have to think of Star Apollo is like a ship, anal- mm. like analogous ship, but I'm like, because that just means disappointment."
0: <laughs> right. Well, this one redeemed it. Sci-fi, sci-fi redeemed themselves. <laughs>
1: Uh, uh, i'm trying to think of other really good sci-fi ships now that are like slow burn and they pay off in a really
0: good way sydney and vaughn on alias yeah that that was a really great one but again they eventually had to resort to like fake out deaths and um yeah so it eventually but i mean yeah they 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 executed a really good time jump but um but then it kind of I, i don't know then it kind of went off the rails. So Eric and three. Tammy is like the golden the golden it, couple. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like Eric and Tammy on Friday Night Lights and Cassie and Cole on 12 Monkeys are two examples of writers understanding not, romance. Understanding and romance and love and not thinking it's boring to explore what happens after. Right. And like for most of us, that's what we live. So right. it seems strange to me that film and television doesn't explore what happens after when it's not just about whether or not you're like still like there's plenty out there right That that explores like what happens when people cheat on each other or what happens when someone dies or what happens like but but like just the like day-to-day like living and dealing with of course it's heightened drama and of course it's not circumstances that like we are dealing with like in our everyday lives but like I don't understand why I guess I don't understand why so much TV doesn't think that that's something that's like worthwhile or entertaining because both Friday Night Lights and 12 Monkeys are like two of the best TV shows I've ever watched. Right. So,
1: and I think the only, the only I'm trying to think, cause I watch a lot of relationship media just as like kind of part of my grad school media conceptions of relationships and stuff. Mm-hmm. And The only one I can think of that even remotely tries to tackle it in a way that, you know, isn't just about something else. Like, because there's some some that will tackle marriage as a way of looking at another, like you said, like grief or divorce or cheating or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think Easy from Netflix is the only one I can think of. And that one is vignettes. It's short story vignettes. And so it's not even really like you're sitting with a family unit or a relationship network. It's more just like little short stories, and I can't really think of another one besides Friday Night Lights and Twelve Monkeys that really has like a long-term relationship arc where the characters are more together than they are apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah,
0: that's right. And I mean, there's (laughs) certainly, (laughs) yeah. I don't, I don't know why it, it is becoming. As I become, like, a grizzled 40-something-year-old television watcher, it is increasingly frustrating to me that that doesn't seem to be something that a lot of writers think is, like, worth our time.
1: Right. And it, because it's also, like – it's a something Like you're saying, it's something that most – Like, a lot of us live in some capacity of, or the other. Not necessarily marriage, but, you know. Yeah. You know, uh, relationships in general. Mm-hmm. And so – of all kinds. Of all but, kinds. But yeah. Like so don't <laughs> like uh I oh you know there's is one that when I think of relationships I think is really good um and it's but it's not so much marriage in this way but rectify I think that they do like the impact of trauma on a family really well kind of like we were talking about like haunted and, um house on haunted hill and the leftovers and um but yeah, when I think of, like, marriage and I think of ultimately kind of happier endings, it's sparse. It's grim yeah. out there. Yeah. It's grim.
0: <laughs> and I mean,
1: you know, there's Sensei. a lot of – is another one. But that's kind of different. Yeah. But also, you know,
0: at least it's happy-ish. <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, in this, in this show, Cassie and Cole are going to deal with a lot of horrific things. Like right. losing a child and being separated and, like, all, all – all kinds of things right and ultimately thinking that like your partner is going to like not exist <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's plenty of drama i guess what what i'm talking about is the drama isn't like that they're breaking up every right. five minutes it's not show external can't, either right yeah that they can't figure out anything else like interesting for them to do um yeah it's, anyway. a, it's such
1: a weird thing to me. It's like, guys. It is, but th- we're struggling to come
0: up with other examples. Yeah, I, and I and a watch a lot of And we watch a lot of TV. We watch a lot of TV. We do.
2: <laughs> no, <All right>.
0: shame. <laughs> no shame. No shame. Um, no. Megan, thank you so yeah. much for coming back. Thank so you fun for to break these me. two episodes down. Um, next up, we're going to be talking about 202 Primary. Erin's um, going to be coming back to talk about that with us. Um, so we We've got Changing Time, um, Saul Tai, speaking of Battlestar, will be joining us for a short time um, in his Hawaiian shirts. I love that dude. (laughs) Um, We've got the Emerson Hotel, um, room 607, Jennifer trying to find her purpose, the 1944 photograph, first turning up. Um, Excited to talk about that. So if you guys don't have anything else, Megan, you'll be back to talk with us again. I'm not sure... Definitely in season three with the Cassie episode, but I think sometimes before then. So we'll look forward to having you back. Yeah. I think sometime in season three. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If you guys don't have anything else, we'll see you soon.